Oh, our our dog got his cone taken off this morning. And it's like a new doggy. He's just like walking around, sniffing at he's everything. Like, he's like, look at this. I'm not bumping into anything. I'm living life. This is great. The only thing scarier than that cone is dad's lack of responsibility to watch all the movies we're supposed to watch. Okay, all right, but I understand you're mad, but you don't gotta you don't gotta hit that low. Well, first of all, the dog said it, not me. Yeah, oh, the dog said it. Oh yeah. no, it's the it's the puppet that's racist. It's not me. <laughs> and that was Jim Henson's final words before Kermit said the N word on national television. <laughs> Someday we'll find it. A superior race connection. You're like, Jim, that's not the words. He's like, listen, I know what I'm doing. I, I know what he goes, I made the Muppet. Yeah. I am the Muppet. He's the Jim Morrison of, of the Muppet Production Company. <laughs> it's good to hear Naomi tell her hello, by the way. Ben says hello. Okay. Naomi says hello. Oh, that's what, what that is. I was like, why do I have a receipt? And I was like, oh. <laughs> well, normally you purchase something and then they give you one. <laughs> Speaking of yeah, which, I just no, I, yeah. I bought a t- I bought a TV. Bought a TV. Yeah, like my that. one in my uh, 65 inches. Okay, that's about the size of ours. 65 inches, right? Oh, 55. Oh, 55. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, I'm I'm sure there's not much of a difference in that capacity. It's mostly, really. it's mostly the outer stuff. Yeah, exactly. I'm excited, though. And I'm just like, it gets delivered and installed tomorrow. And part of me is like, is the first thing I put on that TV? That would be a really interesting first choice. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, we're now gonna have to bleep that name because yeah. you know that's that's in part two. That is in part two. Well, it should have been in part one, but you know, Tyler's lazy and does not mail stuff when he should. Oh, you, you had someone throw a brick through your window, and you also you had to get the little guy's teeth pulled. It's understandable. Yeah, I had a lot. It's been a busy week. You know, though, I gotta say, straight up, it's fine, though, that, like, we're gonna have to, like, kind of, like, piece together this one, because there's a moment in one of my films that made all of this worth it, and I cannot wait to get to it. I am excited to hear about that moment. Yeah, you're also about to be in for a real yelling with one of yours as well. Oh, Lord. And I'm sure you can guess which one it is. I mean, it might be my number 10 spot. Hmm. Hmm. Go into the music and we'll find out. <laughs> End of your movie. Now you want more. Now you want more. Be all your insides Welcome, everybody, to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from the spookiest part of Japan to the spookiest part of America. This is Two White Guys Talking Film. I'm, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. Uh, 
And we are back again. This time we are counting down the 90s in horror. That's right. This is part one, 10 to 6. It's We're going to count down horror like it's 19. Well, it's just any year in 1990, I guess. Yeah. Well, 1989, you know, that's what the song is. Yeah, it is. But I mean, like, we have several years here. I don't even know if we have a 1999. I know you for sure have a 1999. Oh, do I? I yeah. have a 1999, too. I have two 1999 movies. I know I have a 1998. It's the first one. No, 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 no. No, that's actually 98. It came out. I was incorrect uh, when I put that. Well, yeah. I have two movies from 1999. Yeah, you do. You're, you're, you're number one. Don't just say my number one <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, then I'm going to bleep that, too. Oh. Uh. <laughs> By the way, I have a fun game at the end of uh, part two that I want to play with you that I oh, think you're oh, going to okay. enjoy. Perfect. I'll, I'll let you know what it is beforehand so you're not caught off guard. That would, um, be, that would be nice, yeah. Yeah. So the 90s. This so the was 90s. an interesting time for horror. It is an interesting time for horror. I think my argument going into this isn't that... Because I think we largely hear that the 90s was a bad time for horror movies. I don't think that that's true. I think it was a less good time for horror movies than the 80s, which was like rife with low budget. Anybody can make like a like kind of like the last grasp of like the underground indie cinema movement before it became like shot on video stuff or directed video stuff. So I think... The 90s, the landscape really changes to where it's, it's you know, it's now either you're a big budget movie or you're going like straight to video. And that doesn't necessarily mean that like it, those movies that went direct to video are bad. Because I think I have a couple that are like pretty much close to direct to video or, or I wanted to put a shot on video movie, but like they're really hard to watch and track down. And so, so there's nothing like that on my list, but... I think when people say shut There's up. There's something ben. that should have been shot on video. I'll tell you what. All right. Oh. Okay. All right. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. You got like four out of five this time. When I think when people talk about 90s as a bad horror decade, I think they mean 90s as a bad mainstream horror decade. I think there's a lot of great stuff boiling underneath and. I think because of the blowout of the 80s and how big and bombastic everything got by the end of it, you begin to see people take horror in a metatextual way, which we'll, we'll get to. I mean, I'm looking only at my list and like I'm looking at a couple on yours. It was not a bad decade for mainstream horror. There was just less of it. I think what happened was horror went through like kind of like a death and rebirth mm -hmm. and that's kind well, of what you're talking about at least from what i'm gathering which you said like it's either low budget shot on video or it's like a big budget movie well the thing is is there was a bonanza of like a gold rush after halloween came out right mm -hmm. and so anybody who was anybody who could scrape together like five hundred thousand dollars or like a million dollars would shoot a horror movie and it would go nowhere and like so the 80s the market was saturated mm -hmm. with horror movies and not just like the early but like the late 80s as well 
eventually what happens is you have the invention of the video camera and like tape and like you know three and editing on like three-fourth masters and and like editing on tape and stuff like that and so Mm -hmm. you end up seeing this like movement the cinema movement of people who are shooting stuff like direct to video and it's like these regional horror movies and that's i think looked down upon in many people's eyes as people like kind of look at these shot on video Mm -hmm. movies with like derision even though some of them are very interesting and very fun and like very well made it's sort of the same thing of like regional horror movies in the early 80s so i think the 90s gets this like bad rap because you would go to the video store and you would buy a movie called scream again and it would actually just be some people in the woods doing like a scream knockoff and like yeah that's a bummer but like i don't know i personally find a lot of value in movies like scream again because it's just the Horschel gordon lewis of the 90s i'm sorry is scream again a real movie yes (laughs) and yet somehow was edged out by 10 other films <laughs> yes i would not put scream again on a best of the 90s uh decade well that's fair but you certainly did put something at number 10 on your best of the decade and do you want to start or you want me to well if i start that mean that means that your number one is last right yeah it would be with the way that i wanted to structure this i think that works perfectly because we're gonna we're gonna skip one of yours because I guess, I guess yes. you know what? Here's the first spoiler, ladies and gentlemen. Only one movie is the same on both of our lists. Yeah. Which, by the way, I saw in 4K the other night on a big screen. I picked up on two things I'd never noticed in that movie. Stop bragging about it so much. I mean, I said it once. <laughs> I know. I'm just joking. No, I know. Yeah, okay, so let's start with your number 10. My number 10 is a metatextual film directed by the great Lucio Foley, and it's considered one of his last, like, good movies. It is essentially a... I'm trying to remember what... It's basically a, like, scramble or a gumbo of old footage from other movies shot around a very interesting wraparound segment it's kind of like an anthology movie it is about himself lucio foley who is a director and doctor going slowly insane because of all the violence that he's put into his movies so of course the 1990 film cat in the brain you can go in now just walked in as a patient yes the director yes the one who makes all those horror films i will you never know maybe he's looking for girls to act in his new movie yeah sure i'll keep you posted bye my dear mr fulci I think I understand your problem. Now you say the first manifestations of your illness have been the fear of hamburger and gardeners. Well, professionally, 
I'm a movie director, horror films usually. I filmed a pretty nasty sequence yesterday. During the lunch break, I went to a restaurant. I ordered a, a steak, and when I saw the meat, I, I was totally, I, I was totally overcome with a sense of repulsion. And this morning, I saw a gardener sawing wood. He was using a chainsaw, the same type used in a scene we shot in which we used a type of red paint instead of blood. The man was all red, and I wanted to kill him. Do you think I'm going crazy, Doctor? What you're suffering from is a type of identity crisis. What it means is you're breaking down the barriers, the boundary between what you film and what's real. Oh, I'm glad oh, we get boy. to get that. I'm glad we get to get it out of the way early. I really, oh, really boy. am. I didn't want to oh, like. I, I honestly thought we were gonna go five for five. I really did. And you know, I think Ringu was just sitting there, and you said, "No, no, not now, my pretty." And you just turned the lock on the door, and then you said, "Come here, cat in the brain. Let's really upset him." <laughs> you I gotta have said... one head scratcher. It's, it's 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 quite that in a lot of ways. You said in a previous episode, actually, it was the episode just before this one, Blood and Black Lace, that Blood and Black Lace is the culmination of all of Giallo movies kind of coming together. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the, I would say it's like the, it's like all of the themes kind of coalescing into into the movie for the first time. Is this the same thing, but them all falling apart? Kind of, yes. Okay, okay. This feels like the death of Giallo, and I think that's kind of how you said that this is the end of Giallo, and boy, does it go out with a messy kill. I don't hate this movie. I'm just saying that right now. I don't okay. hate it. It's just, it's very frustrating because it feels like, it feels like a man who doesn't have what he needs to do his job, and you can tell it's frustrating. It's it's a It's a frustrating film because it's just, it it is kind of a hobbling of <laughs> of faulty themes. So I first got to ask you, when and where did you first see this? I first saw this when I was like 16, just like it was just like on a TV channel and it fucking melted my face off. I was like, what is this? No context to who Fulci was, no context about anything. And I just was like, OK, what the what is this? <laughs> it's kind of bananas. He's in it, isn't it? It is. It's really fun. He's a cute old man. He's he's very charming. Like you don't yeah. want anything bad to happen to Lucio Fulci, which is so funny because he's just like kind of this lecherous Italian man who loves violence he, and nudity. He is. He is. He's nicknamed the Godfather of Gore. He shares it with Herschel Gordon Lewis. And so, like, if you've ever seen any of his other movies, I think we've seen it beyond. He loves some gore. He's. I think he's number two. I think it's always going to be Argento. I think it's then going to be Fulci and then I think it's Baba. That's that's the mm. that's the logic I've pulled because like even scenes of this I was like, you know, yeah, you're at least taking the gore more seriously. I mean the gore for him I think is just it's a lot more visceral. Like I said he was a doctor. He 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 studied to become a doctor and then was, I was like wondering why they were that. calling him doctor. Oh, by the way, the copy I found on Tubi, English nice probably the english dub so my copy was the italian version uh nightmare concert and it has i think a different ending than yours oh interesting okay well you know what do us a favor what is this movie about starring lucio fulci the great italian director so this is lucio fulci's 
this penultimate film. And it's about him, who did the doctor, Lucio Fulci, as he works on what is it? I think I think a movie Touch of Death, which is an actual movie. It was shot on video. It was a direct video. And oh, so he, wait, that, that Nazi orgy thing is real. That is from a different movie. That is from the movie Conquest. No. Oh, so that is, all these scenes we're seeing are actual movies. Yes. No, they're like actual archive footage. That's <laughs> wild. So like the chainsaw cannibal stuff is from a movie called Touch of Death. Interesting. Ghosts of Sodom is the other one. Some of it is stock footage from Massacre or The Murder Secret or Bloody Psycho. These Some of these movies aren't technically Lucio Fulci movies, but are movies that were directed by other directors and then put under the name of Lucio Fulci. That's interesting. That's almost like him kind of being like, yeah, yeah I know what y'all did. Mm-hmm. Kind interesting. of. And well, damn of... it, ladies and gentlemen, I'm in. Now, now i got to know more about it. So so he's he's going through and he's making these movies, but also stuff's happening to him. So he is he is seeing visions of his murders from actual movies, from movies that he shot, start to come real, become like actual murders in real life. And there is a man who who the movie makes no bones about it is his psychiatrist who is going around murdering people and hypnotizing him and making it think, seem like he is doing it. That's the entire plot. But what. What is interesting about Cat in the Brain is Cat in the Brain. <laughs> it's so true. And it I gotta is, tell you, it, the doctor is ridiculous. <laughs> the doctor is ridiculous. You're like, that guy is evil from like the moment you see him. Like he's just <laughs> he's just like all teeth. <laughs> it's not just that though, but like he uses those teeth. When he's walking towards that prostitute and he's just got on a raincoat, you're just like, okay, fair. That's fair. It's terrifying. It's great, that, but it's also terrifying. That does lead me to ask, because that's mine. What is your favorite scene? My favorite scene is... Or scare, or scare, I guess. I love the scene where, like, Fulci's car stops, and then he sees, like, a woman getting her, like, throat slashed. Like, I think that that's, like, really viscerally violent and upsetting. Uh, yeah. Actually, my other favorite scene is the fucking wheelchair <laughs> <laughs> the girl in the wheelchair who's at like the top oh, of the stairs oh. and then he sees like like someone who gets like burned and like thrown out the building and he's like Ugh. and he goes he goes into his house and the I, little I, girl in the I wheelchair is like are you I gonna help me down you. like you do every morning <laughs> okay i won't i won't lie to you that scene that scene is like maybe my now my second favorite wheelchair scene because I'm like I'm like oh my god is it gonna happen it never happens but you're just like you're just like Fulci's face is enough to be like nope nope she will die. <laughs> I'm not gonna say Cat in the Rain is like a perfect movie. It feels too low budget for what it's aiming for, but I think if you know Fulci's work. And you kind of understand what he's trying to do here. He's essentially trying to make a movie out of like producers coming to him and be like, we have a bunch of your footage and we just want to put it into a movie that's kind he's, of like a clip show. He's doing what Ed Wood did with his first movie, if you really look at it. Yeah. Ed Wood's first movie where he had Bella Lugosi just narrate over it and it was a bunch of stock footage. That's kind of what this is, but it's a little better constructed. Yeah, I mean, as much as I love Ed Wood for his 
screwball ideas. I think this is <laughs> done by a director who had directed a lot up until this point. You could just argue Ed Wood was a guy who just didn't have the right budget. I think so, too. I actually love Ed Wood, so <laughs> I'm not, no well, shit talking Ed Wood here. Whenever we get to the 50s, I, there probably will be at least one Ed Wood movie. Unironically, in the best. No, that's fair. That's understandable. Um, now, I'll have, now I'll have to go search for that. Well, before you before you get any further into this, my last question to you is, why should it be on the list? I think it should be on the list because this is... When we talk about 90s horror, we talk about the meta context of horror. We talk about... You know, obviously, the movie that shall not be named from 1996 and how they're talking about horror and Wes Craven's new nightmare and how they're talking about horror and how that kind of like opened up the floodgates to like meta commentary on horror. I think meta textual and horror starts with Cat in the Brain. I think it's the first movie to kind of do the like commentary on a man making movies because it is about a director. The director shows up. He's in the movie. He is haunted by the images that he has created and put on screen. He is haunted by what would be his legacy, which is a man who's put a lot of violence into the world. Mm-hmm. And it also kind of uses that premise to kind of do like an eight and a half style movie, which is kind of nuts when it goes because like this movie had like a budget of a hundred thousand us dollars like this movie had no budget essentially some producers came and like we have some old footage we want to reuse can you make us like a wraparound and he comes up with like a really interesting really cool idea for a movie that i think kind of stands on its own even though it's mostly reused footage oh Um, don't get me wrong this is incredibly clever like what what he did here now that you're explaining it is very smart like, and he made himself the star in his last movie. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, he's kind of giving this, like, thing, like, he goes, this is kind of my thoughts on horror. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of my thoughts on my lasting impact and what I've put out in the world. And I don't think it's perfect, but I definitely think it kind of perfectly represents the end of the Giallo era. Because it is so low budget, the Giallo stuff had kind of fallen apart in like the mid '80s. Argento had mo- moved on to like not big budget, but like he was getting budgets from like America, and he was working with like you know American filmmakers and stuff like that. And so a lot of the Giallo stuff had kind of like the bottom had fallen out of the market, especially because of direct video, especially because of shot on video, especially because like Germany was decided to produce its own movies. And so the European tastes had changed, the market had changed. So Giallo was essentially, by 1990, like, long dead. But I think this is a very interesting kind of last gasp and look at, like, the lasting impact of that genre from, like, one of the genre's best directors kind of looking inward. And so I think that is one of the reasons why it should be on the list. And I also think as a commentary on, like, the metatextualness of 90s horror... I think that's also why it should be on the list. Well, there you go. A cat in the brain or Nightmare Concert, which I Nightmare did not know, which concert. is, by the way, a, a better, better title. Nightmare Concert is a sick title, but it also d- has nothing to do with what the movie's about. 
No, I think you could argue the nightmare concert in front of him is all the images that are coming to him. That's, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I guess. That makes sense. We jump from 1990 to 1998, and it's December 4th, 1998, and you're standing outside of a cinema, and you look up, and you you look at one word, and you go, huh? And it's something that after about an hour and 45 minutes, you'd walk out of, and if it were me at this time, seeing it for the first time, I would say it's one of the most controversial remakes of all time. It's hard to believe it exists as well as almost kind of works at moments. A major cast with an absolutely baffling lead in Vince Vaughn at the center causes you to ask, what was Van Zandt trying for? And in some ways it will oddly fascinate you in its duality. And it is, well, you know what? I'm not even going to go any further. It's the movie that stars Vince Vaughn, Viggo Mortensen, William H. Macy, Julianne Moore, Philip Baker Hall, and as Marion Crane, Anne Heche. This is Gus Van Sant's follow-up to Goodwill Hunting, and if you join us now, this is 1998's Psycho. Is Mr. Lowry back from lunch yet? He's lunching with the man who's buying the Harris Street property. Oh, you know, right. the oil lease man? Right, right, right. So that's why he's late. You getting a headache? It'll pass. Headaches are like resolutions. You forget about them as soon as they stop hurting. You got aspirins? I have something. Not aspirins, but my mother's doctor gave these to me on the day of my wedding. Teddy was furious when he found out I'd taken tranquilizers. <laughs> Any calls? Oh, Teddy called me, and my mother called to see if Teddy called. And, oh, your sister called to say that she'd be going to Tucson to do some buying and she'd be gone the whole weekend. And... Uh... <laughs> Hot as fresh milk. You girls ought to get your boss to turn on the air conditioning. You can afford it today. <laughs> Marion, will you get those copies of the deed ready for Mr. Cassidy? Of course. Tomorrow's the day. My sweet little girl. <laughs> Not you, darling. My daughter. She's a baby, but tomorrow she stands up there and gets herself married away from me. Yeah, I like you have a look at my baby. Eighteen years old and never known an unhappy day in any one of those years. Come on, Tom. The air conditioner's on in my office. You know what I do with unhappiness? I buy it all. You unhappy? Oh, not inordinately, no. You know, buying this house is a wedding present for my baby. Now, that's not buying happiness. That's buying all unhappiness. See? Yes, sir. $400,000 cash. <laughs> not to worry now. I'll never carry more than I can afford to lose. Got up. <laughs> I declare. <laughs> I don't. So I'm able to keep it. <laughs> Tom, uh, cash transactions of this size are uh, most irregular. Yeah, so what? My private money, now it's yours. Suppose we just put this in the safe and then Monday morning when you're feeling good. Speaking of feeling good, what happened to that bottle you said you had in your desk? Mm. You know, sometimes I can't keep my mouth shut. Larry, I'm dying of thirst to ruin here. 
I don't even want it in the office over the weekend. Put it in the safe deposit box at the bank, Marion, and uh, we'll get him to give us a check on Monday instead. Okay. He was flirting with you. I guess he must have noticed my wedding ring. One of us had to pick this. I mean, in a way, yes. By the way, I think you're gonna slip into this game pretty simply because you pretty much said in your in your why should this be on my list, you pretty much nailed what the game's gonna be. Essentially, the game is gonna be, I'm gonna ask you at the end to pair each of your movies with something from my list, and I think you've already nailed like where Cat in the Brain should go. I think so too. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's fun. I like that yeah, a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Well, you got the questions for this one. Um, I I do have the questions. My first question is, when and where did you see this? I probably saw this about seven to eight months. Uh, It was in the summer. I know that. So it had to have been, yeah. Because this comes out December 4th, 1998. So I I probably saw this in like June of 99. Parents were out of the house doing something on a Saturday. Stars always had a movie premiere at eight o'clock on Saturday night. And this was the movie. Nice. <laughs> stars. Oh, stars. I, love I, stars. I love stars. It's really fallen off recently, but I love stars. Oh, no, there's they're like little streaming thing that they have has like a, it has a pretty deep bench. Oh, it has a good library for sure. I just, it's just like, fuck off with the other stuff. Stop trying to do TV shows. Just, just do movies. Just do movies. Come um, to the dance with what brought you. <laughs> do we have to do what, uh, what is this movie about? Well, you know, actually, it's funny you say that. Cause yeah, kind of. I mean, guys, if you've seen the movie Psycho and either version, this is it. I mean, it's not unfair to say that like Gus Van Sant made a shot for shot remake of Psycho for reasons he has given like three different answers as to why he did it one of them was he didn't want anyone else to remake Psycho so he just like poisoned the well the other is just like no I kind of just wanted to do it (laughs) which is I think the the funnier answer (laughs) I mean, it, it's it's pretty good when you look at it. And I think the other one is like, yeah, it was an experiment. Eh, it may not have turned out as well as I wanted it to, but you know. You know, and though, it kind of works. I respect every single one of them. Here's my thing. I think every 20 years we should get like a group of character actors and be like, we're remaking Psycho. I mean, I kind of love the idea of it. Like, I love that this movie, like this movie's huge when you look at mm-hmm. the people in it. Also, did Viggo Mortensen just eat off of 90s movies? Like, is that how he paid his bills in the 90s, was horror movies? I think so, yeah, because his first one, like, one of his first movies is The Reflecting Skin, which almost made it onto my list. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I don't really need to talk about it, guys. It's the movie Psycho. I mean, it's got a couple extra minutes of footage added for reasons. One thing I think is interesting is casting Vince Vaughn in the Norman Bates role. And I think the reason that that's done is because when you watch the original Psycho in 1960, I don't think you expect Norman Bates to be evil and be a murderer. Like, you know he's weird and that he's, like, voyeuristic. 
but because he's played by Anthony Perkins, you're kind of like, oh, this guy's kind of like disarming and charming. <sighs> but when you yeah. put Vince Vaughn in that role, he's not. <laughs> well, it like really reshapes the whole dynamic between Anne Hayes and Vince Vaughn. Now I ask you this: Is it because of that, or is it because you know that he's the killer? You know, that's a very unfair thing to say to this movie because this movie has like 50 years of like people knowing like Norman Bates is his mother. Like no spoilers, mm-hmm. guys. Sorry, I'm spoiling a premise from like the 1950s, like 1960, 1960. Is it 1960? 1960 on the nose. Ah, 1960. I'm spoiling a movie from 1960, guys. Sorry if you don't like to know that. It's so funny. Philip Baker Hall shows up in this movie. I, I By the way, Philip Baker Hall, welcome to the Half Star Stud Club. Oh, yeah. He's not the private eye. He's just the local sheriff. He's just like... He's so, <laughs> he's so fucking funny. He's so fucking good in this movie. Oh, William so, H. Macy shows up. He's exactly like, supposed to be that guy. Perfect. Perfect. Also, yeah. Robert Forrester... As the doctor at the end, as right? The psychiatrist. This, this movie's good. <laughs> it's, it's... But Now, I'll say this. It is the... Worst Julianne Moore performance, maybe ever. It is. It's it's up. Like she's really bad in this movie for some reason. Listen, this movie's got Flea in it. This movie's got James Lagrosse in it. Rita Wilson. There are some very interesting performances in it. Like Mm -hmm. you know what it is too, and I say this as nicely as I can. It's gay psycho. Oh yeah, it is. That's maybe why I love it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's fair. Like, it's understandable why. Like, because there is, like, this weird, like, kind of, like, like, if you watch the way, like, if you go and you run them side by side with each other, or do what Steven Soderbergh did and re-edit the two movies together. I need to watch that. Watch the two movies side by side. The way the lines are done are done very differently. Like, oh, also, you know who else? The guy from Mulholland Drive who plays the dude who has all the money in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, this movie also I think Anne Heche's performance as Marion Crane gives Marion Crane like kind of this edge that her character doesn't. I mean, it do does you like her? Do you like psycho. her as Marion Crane? I think it's a very interesting call to make her Marion Crane. What I'm not sure switch, I like it. What if you switch them? <laughs> Like what, Julian Moore as Marion Crane yeah. and Anne Heche. Yeah. I think it would make more sense, but I think giving Anne Heche, who's kind of this like I think edgier performer, there's like a darkness behind her. I think it makes personally, I think it makes Marion Crane more sympathetic because you kind of understand that she's like she's like a little bit of like there's like a there's like some something behind the eyes. There's like a little bit of like a energy. And so I don't know. I think having Anne Heche in the in the role as Marion Crane is very interesting. I'm I'm sorry, I just it seems like she's hurting you. I, I didn't mean to be unkind. I guess it's because I don't buy her the way I buy Janet Lee in that role. Mm-hmm. Like Janet mm-hmm. Lee I buy is like going to do whatever she needs to to like figure this out. Whereas like Anne Heche just I don't know, like I don't know. It's it's very interesting. I'll say this too. I think he made this at the last time you could make a Psycho movie because the premise of Psycho 
in 2010, it wouldn't work. You would be able to track this person pretty quickly. Yeah. In the 90s, though, you could do this Mm -hmm. movie. You would, you know, very easily be like, oh, they have a cell phone, you know. (laughs) Let's just call a cell phone. I also think Gus Van Zandt making it at this time is very interesting because it's like he has all the buildup starting with Malanoche and Drugstore Cowboys and Nine Private Idaho and you know but then he does none of those none of those matter he does one movie well no no what I'm gonna say is in 1995 he does To Die For which gives him the cachet to do Goodwill Hunting which that is the like that is the the movie essentially like that's oh, the movie that gives oh, him I the mean, blank check to do psycho i mean like you want to go to the conversation in the room it was it was gus van sant sitting there and they go what do you want to do he's like i want to remake psycho and they're like excuse me and he goes you can't stop me i'm gonna do it like there's already, nothing you can do about i'm already making it <laughs> i'm making it right now as we speak i'm not even there and it's the shower scene I don't know what's going to happen. It's just him holding like an ant here. all going. <laughs> yeah. And he unleashed it on the world. <laughs> what's your favorite scare? You know, it's honestly anytime Vince Vaughn is acting. Yeah. Yeah. Although I will say the scene at the end. Now here's the thing. I want to take it back to this too. Have you seen the trailer for this movie? I think I might've a while ago. The trailer for this movie starts off with a black screen and then you see the words come on the screen in white. It says, this is Norman Bates. And you just see him under that blanket at the end of the movie kind of looking up at you and it says, this is Norman Bates's mind. And then like it just shows you all that weird stock footage that he puts in like when William H. Macy gets stabbed in the face. (gasps) Oh, right. And then it says, this Christmas, you're going to find out what makes him tick. And then, like, it just shows you, like, a bunch of different, like, stabbing sequences and stuff like that. And, like, just a lot of quick cuts. And it says Psycho. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, well, this movie trailer promised a much different movie. Because the movie trailer is not the same as the movie. The movie's the movie. Well, the thing is, you can't be like, it's a shot-for-shot remake of the original movie we all know I, and love. I, like, I no one's going to go see a little. I think it would be a little less. I think it, no. I think people still would go see it. I mean, like, I, I would. I mean, I would have gone seeing it as like a curio. At least he's being honest. Come on, everyone. Let's let's at least let's at least give him the the old college try here. If only to die for was a horror movie, it would definitely be on. I mean, it's kind of a thriller, isn't it? It's a drama. It's good. Right? It's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah. It's good. It's kind of a thriller. It says it's listed as a drama. Hmm. That's the Nicole Kidman one, right? As Nicole Kidman one. Nicole Kidman. Remember, uh, remember where at the end of that movie ends with her walking into an AMC? <laughs> that, that commercial can go straight fuck itself. That took me a second. That took me a real, like, I was like, what are you talking Oh, right. <laughs> But yeah, that would be my favorite scene or scare. Honestly, the ending of that movie where he's staring up at the camera while the woman's voice is like going over it, actually, I think is pretty effective. Mm-hmm. This movie's good. I know people say it's it's bad. So you're saying like it's nineteen, it's nineteen ninety eight, so it's almost two thousand. So you're saying like this year or the next someone should like make a psycho. 
You know, fuck it. Ari Asher, make a psycho. I don't care. <laughs> Fucking get whoever. Just make a psycho. Like I, I kind of love. The, I kind of love that you picked him. You're just like, no, I'm already gonna hate it. Might as well go with something. Might as well make it really interesting. I would, you know, I think it's just one of those movies where it's like, it it should be passed down generation to generation. It feels like a movie that like every generation should have a psycho, and you get the psycho you deserve. It's a perfect movie. The original Hitchcock movie is perfect. Literally, nobody could make a movie good enough that would make it impeachable. It is like probably top five Hitchcock movies. So like, it's also probably one of the best movies ever oh. made. It's like it might be number two for fuck's sakes. Like yeah, like, like it's it's a perfect movie. Like and no offense, Van Sant seemed like he was having a lot of fun with it. This movie doesn't feel asleep. No, it's it's engaged. Every yeah. choice is interesting. Like Viggo Mortensen as the love interest is definitely one of those choices. Yeah, I think what's so interesting about the movie is it's not just the simple shot for shot remake. It's like when he deviates, you go like, why did you deviate from this? Like, why is this the moment you do something different? You know what I mean? I think it's fucking great. I love this movie. I'm glad you picked it. I'm glad I could say shout into the world how much I like Psycho. And I think yeah. every generation, someone should remake Psycho. You know what I mean? Like every thirty years, it's a it's like the perfect movie to remake. We already all know what happens in Psycho. We already know who the killer is. So like, just do another one. It's essentially the Simpsons line: "Say the line, Bart." Like exactly. we all love Psycho. There's no reason to deny us Psycho again. Like, mm-hmm. let's just see what happens with it. Ari Aster. <laughs> Ugh. Or, you know, it could be anybody. I don't care who. I You know, Ari Aster was just the first person I thought of. Well. You know who would make a great psycho? To... Who's that? Lynn Ramsey. She, she did. did uh, uh, we need to talk about Kevin and the uh, Joaquin Phoenix Hammer movie. Oh, yeah. You were never really here. That's the one I was trying to think of. Actually, yeah. Her psycho would be very interesting. Her psycho would feel incredibly real, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It'd be upsetting. Until it... <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Why is this on the list? I think I gave a pretty solid reason for why it should be on the list. But I mean, everything you said and more. But honestly, it's because, like, why not? Like, the 90s was kind of an era, too, where, like, like I said, this is this whole list is a whole thing about death and rebirth. And, like, this is kind of one of the rebirth things where it's like, we're going to dare to remake one of the most beloved horror movies. Maybe kind of the movie that starts off the horror genre in some ways. And we're going to do it at one of the most, like, times of excess and, like, kind of, like, just overindulgence. And that's the 90s. And it kind of works. Like, this movie doesn't work the whole time, but it does work a good amount of the time. And it's kind of impressive to see Gus Van Sant just push all of his chips forward and go, here we go. I'm going to bring you the largest cast you've ever seen. I'm going to bring you, like, the most renowned cast you've ever seen. Even people in smaller roles are people you're going to know. And it's going to kind of not work, but I don't care because I wanted to do it. And I don't really care what his answer is. I'm glad this movie kind of exists. It's a shame. I think it kind of crippled Vince Vaughn as a dramatic actor. But like sometimes you need to do that to present something even better. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. Sorry, I was reading about Psycho. I found that on Soderbergh's blog, Extension 765, he has Psycho's just up uh, available to watch. Oh, his psycho's up? 
Yeah, Psycho's the like mash together of uh, both movies. When did he cut that together? It appears he cut that together. It's posted 2014. 1998 to 2008, 2008 to 2000. Yeah, I mean, kind of, kind of another, another cut. I mean, you could argue that's the, that's the cut. That's the next version of it. I'm gonna have to watch that if that's on there. Mm-hmm. Will you send that? Mm-hmm. Will you send that link to me? I will. Yeah. Well, we can also move on to I think your number nine, which. <laughs> What's this all about? Come on. Okay, so my number nine. <laughs> So my number nine predates the black horror revival by about a whole decade. Maybe a whole, maybe two whole decades. It is a movie that is set in New York City and follows Joel, who's played by James Bond III, his religious grandmother after both parents are killed in a car accident, and Kay, who's played by Kadeem Hardson. It follows two sons, Joel and Kay, who are the sons of Samuel Jackson's minister character, who are now living in New York City and are haunted by a succubus? Question mark. This is from 1990, shot by the great Ernest Dickerson and directed by James Bond III. Death by Temptation. Oh, girl, you got a nuclear butt. You know that? You got one of them explosive booties. Boy, you bring to mind the old cameo phrase. Ow. You know, and we're cameo now. Yeah. New lead singer. Word, word out. Dougie, Dougie, you gotta believe me. Hey man, what's wrong with you? You look like you had to sit through the share video twice. <laughs> Bartender, get this kid a beer quick. No, it's an emergency. Dougie, I don't need a beer. A beer's not gonna help me now. A beer's not gonna help us now. Us? Us. It's about that chick we was talking about, man. That weird page? Yes. It's like I told you, we pack, we practically boned up on top of the bar that night I met her. Right. And she comes over to my crib looking for Joe. Who, the young kid she was with? For Joel. Now that's my homie, but come, come now. <laughs> I figure she gotta be front. So I wait till Joel leaves the room, and I call her on it. I say, yo, baby, what kind of dope you smoking? What kind of games you playing? I look at her, I look back. I look at her, I look in the mirror. I look at her, I look in the mirror. I swear to you, she was not casting a reflection in the mirror. <laughs> now, I, Dougie, I'm not crazy, Dougie. I know what I saw. Dougie, this ain't no fucking joke. Don't laugh, man. Oh, man. What, what are you, on the pipe or what? Oh, yeah, now I'm on the pipe now. Hey, man, you've been working too hard. You're tired, man. You know, you get tired, you're exhausted. You see things that ain't there. Dougie, I thought I could talk to you about this, but I can't. So fuck you. Stay your fat ass at this bar and get dissed by every babe that comes in here. I'm out of here. Peace. Hey, hey, hey. I'm not fat, pal. And I don't think you're crazy either. You know what I'm talking about? We're a branch of the federal government that specializes in murder under strange circumstances. I don't believe this. I do not believe this. Supernatural could be responsible for a significant percentage of unsolved murders. Oh, you telling me now that along with criminals, we got ETs and zombies killing people, man? About a year ago, I was assigned to investigate the case of a man who had admitted himself to a psychiatric hospital claiming he had slept with the devil. He said he could feel snakes crawling around in his stomach. Yeah, yeah. As he was about to tell me who she was, 
The snakes began to crawl out of his mouth. Oh, you bullshit. Of course, the hospital swept the incident under the rug, and I was assigned to do the follow-up. I followed the patient's lead and ended up at the bar. I've been watching her ever since. She leaves with men, and you never see them again. Okay, so you've been tracking her, and I ain't lost my mind. I'm, I still got it together. There's no way out of this thing, Kay. I'm gonna need some help. What you saying? The truth is, I've been at this job for years, and this is the first legitimate lead I've had. I want her, and I want to close the rule book to get her. Besides, if I wait on my superiors to deliberate on the thing, it'll be too late. And what you saying? You said she didn't cast a reflection in the mirror. That's right. I, I believe that. you, but nobody else would. It's your call. I didn't know what to make of this for like the first 25 minutes. And then all of a sudden, and I couldn't even tell you what scene it is. I think it might be the scene actually where like the guy gets out of bed and is being chased by the camera. I was like, oh, okay. I see what he's doing here. I don't know who James Bond the third is. This is the guy who plays like the main character. Mm-hmm. I think like, it's like his only movie that he directed. That's his only credit as director, Death by Temptation. Oh, he's one of those guys. He's a uh, who's the guy who did the honeymoon killers? <laughs> I'm trying. Oh god, what's the name of the guy from the honeymoon killers? Leonard Castle. Yes, he's a real Leonard Castle, isn't he? When and where did you first see this? I first saw this in preparation for this list. It was on Shutter. I was like, oh, 1990s, let's watch it. And I watched it, and I was like, hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> this it was like a trauma movie. I was, it's, it's the most really... serious trauma movie I've ever seen. I mean, trauma, when it, they're not producing, they just put out movies a lot of the time. They will put out some like really interesting stuff. This is one of them. So this is shot by Ernest Dickerson. Do you know who that is? That name is so familiar. Who is that? He is Spike Lee's friend. They went to the Tisch School of the Arts, and he got a master thesis in film. And he shot, I think, every single movie up until up until like '92. Wow. So every single movie until Malcolm X, he worked as a cinematographer on. And then he went and became a director in his own right. He directed a movie that might is on Ben's list, just fucking flat out. I'll tell him that right now. But he also most notably directed Juice and Surviving the Game. Oh, I know Juice, and I've heard of Surviving the Game. Surviving the Game is a great, great movie. But here he's working as a cinematographer with a bunch of people who are also in <laughs> Do the Right Thing, Bill Nunn and Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson is in this movie for a cup of coffee, but he is on the poster. He is the poster in the original, the original like uh, VHS box. He's not on it. His name's not on it. He was not known at the time when this movie originally came out. 1990. I think he was kind of known as like, oh, that guy from Do the Right Thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the by the time I think the movie kind of like picks up steam, he had done like Pulp Fiction and Jungle Fever and had to become like a, you know, a known quantity. And so it's like, oh, put him Hol fucking square <laughs> on the cover. Holy Christ, he, di he did that movie. I did not know that. 
he, what movie? Or Ernest Dickerson. I did not know he directed that movie. Yes. Yes. That's, That's why when I saw it in his filmography, I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Well, well, let me tell you something. Next to Juice, it's a pretty good movie. Wow, this guy's done some interesting stuff. He did Bones. And I think this movie kind of predates Bones, Death by Temptation. Here's the thing. This is like I think one of like four movies on my list that has to do with vampires. <laughs> oh, I was about to ask you. Like you got a real it's it's either you or the 90s have a real vampire complex. I think the 90s has a vampire complex. I mean, it's kind of fine. Like I mean, like none of them don't work. So here's the thing. So I think all of the vampire stuff is it makes sense if you contextualize like the 80s was like the real boom for zombie movies and i think <clears throat> zombie movies thrive when like republicans are in office whereas like democrats kind or like when democrats are in office like vampires and werewolves and shit like that thrive and so it's like an ebb and flow i don't know why it works like that but basically that's how it is i will say the most recent zombie wave happening when Obama when, when Obama was in office kind of threw that theory off a little bit but for a long period of time that was the theory and the 90s the Clinton years is rife with vampire movies now I will say this is a vampire movie in 1990 which if you look that's not when Clinton was in office so this theory is already it's got holes in it but you know that is the 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 theory that I've 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 heard and read about is that they it the vampire stuff moves with the winds of the people in office. Those two are bloodsuckers. There I said it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, why don't you tell us what it's about? <laughs> okay. So it is about Joel and Kay. Joel is was raised by a religious grandmother and has become sort of like a minister like because his father was a minister so he's really been studying the holy book and the scriptures and stuff like that but he's kind of become disillusioned with it and takes a trip to visit Kay who had who's like fully disillusioned with it and has just become like a guy living in New York meanwhile Cynthia Bond is like a succubus or a vampire she's um, incredible in this by the way yeah the movie really never lets you know <laughs> where it lands but she picks up men in bars and then eats them and there's also bill nunn who's in it he plays a cop who's like investigating the the disappearances which is really fun well first first of all we don't know that till halfway through the movie no that's no that's like here's the thing and I don't I don't want to say this for every single one of these movies, but, but goddamn someone get on a remake of this because you could do this and make this the way they did with Fright Night when they remade it and make it cool. Mm. Like mm. this movie is aching to be done. And fuck it. Let James Bond the third direct it again. I kind of like his like his energy with it. His style is interesting. It does help that it is being shot by Ernest Dickerson. <laughs> Oh yeah, I was like, he's an amazing he's got a real, cinematographer. He's got a real, he's got a real good vision. And then I'm like, oh, the, the guy, the, the cinematographer is, is, is really doing a lot of heavy lifting. But I think this movie got like, like a lot of interesting ideas. And I, I, I really wanted to put it on the list because I wanted to highlight the fact that like, 
when we think of like black horror, a lot of the times people start with like bones and like maybe surviving the game. But black horror has existed since like moving images have existed. And so it's always been there, you know. And I think Death by Death by Temptation is like one of the Templars of the genre. And it's also a movie most people don't know about. It's really good. And it's it's I gotta tell you, I don't know anyone who knows about this movie. Yeah. I more people should know about this. It's really good. It's underrated, to be sure. Uh what is your favorite scare or scene? Oh, my favorite scene is the guy, like the rich guy hitting on Cynthia Bond, the temptress. And being like, do you have like a whole bottle of wine? And then like, oh yeah, taking the wine. And it's like this really weird comedy scene in the middle of this movie. And it's like very fun. And then you're just like, oh, that guy's gonna get fucking eaten. And then he gets eaten. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> there, there is some unkind stuff to the gay community in this movie. I will, I will say that. Not, it has not aged particularly well. It's about the only thing I'd remove from it. Yes, it is of the time very of the time which is like 1990s new york so bill nunn by the way saying girl you got a nuclear booty might be my favorite line of dialogue in this that movie. is like fucking a plus honestly also to the way they shoot that scene and then it cuts over to k who's coming to talk to him and you realize he's not even talking to anyone he's just working on his game and also too the beautiful thing about that is too when he pays off he's a cop it totally makes sense why he's there mm-hmm. like he's not striking out on purpose also he gets to be the end of the movie yeah oh yeah i wish there had been a sequel that's just about bill bill nunn just going <laughs> around murdering people yeah why does the why should this be on the list i think it should be on the list and the reason i put it on the list is because it's i think not a forgotten horror movie because it was you know it was you know redone a beautiful 4K restoration by Vinegar Syndrome, so it looks gorgeous. I think, personally, it is a movie that people should know about, and if people are looking for a movie like this, I think it's, like, just one of the exemplars of, like, 90s black horror. And, you know, it's shot by Ernest Dickerson, so it looks fucking incredible. Sam Jackson, his performance in it is fun there's a there's also a couple of just really gross scenes that are like really well done and it kind of not shocking but it's like wow oh wow you guys wow okay wow you know what i mean and well i'll be i didn't think it would be that i didn't didn't think you could make a tv spit out blood like that 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 was a cool sequence i'll say this too the scene for my favorite scare the scene where he's talking to her and like Kay calls her out being like you know who i am we were talking and he turns and looks in the mirror and then turns and looks again mm. like that scene is legitimately chilling it's good the, the the whole movie is is i think underrated and we love death by temptation in this house and so that's why it's on this list i i quite enjoy death by temptation i can see why you like it well, I guess that takes me on to my number nine. <sighs> and my number nine is quite simply about two outlaw brothers who have to hide out one more night in a rowdy Mexican bar to be home free. However, things aren't always as they seem. One of the great, if you don't know, twists of the 90s is truly still great, despite how 
vile and just off-putting this movie can be overall. And we're going to take a step into this convenience store in the middle of Texas to get something cool to drink. Ignore those guys in the back buying beer. This is, of course, the movie from director Robert Rodriguez, written by Quentin Tarantino, starring Quentin Tarantino, and a young George Clooney, and Harvey Keitel, and Juliette Lewis, and Tom Savini as the one and only sex machine. This is From Dusk Till Dawn. Hey, Earl. Yes, sir. What do you know? Well, it's a hot goddamn day. I haven't felt it a bit. I've been inside with air conditioner blasting all day long. Oh, is that right? That's right. Did you break for lunch or nothing? I'm by myself today, ate my lunch out of the microwave. Jesus H. Christ, Pete. When you gonna learn that microwave food to kill you faster than a bullet? Some of them damn burritos ain't good for nothing but a hippie. But he's high on weed. Put me down a bottle of that Jack, will you? Yeah. I think I'm gonna get tanked tonight. What's the matter? Goddamn hot, miserable, shit-ass fucking day every inch of the way. First off, Nadine over Blue Chip got sort of sick, so she got that goddamn mongoloid boy who's working the grill. And then that fucking idiot doesn't know rat shit from Rice Krispies. I eat breakfast by 9 o'clock, and I'm puking up pigs in a blanket like a sick fucking dog by 10.30. Isn't there a law or something against retards serving food to the public? Well, they ain't ought to be. I mean, who in the hell knows what's going on in the mind of a goddamn mongoloid? Nadine should have hit that boy in the head and sold the fucking milk. You could sue these shit out of her, you know that? That kid belongs under a circus tent, not flipping burgers. You could own that fucking place. Oh, shit, Pete. What would I do that grease pit? Fine. Nadine's got a cross to bear. I need to take care of that. Data I guess you heard about that shit up in Abilene, bank robbery. It's all that's been on the box all day. It killed some people, didn't it? Yeah. Killed four rangers. Three cops. One civilian. Took a lady bank teller hostage with him. Supposed to be headed for the border, which would bring him right my way. Get my hands on them crazy, sick fucking bastards, payback time. I mean, maybe we'll get him. We'll get him. Well, I don't doubt it. Well, I got to drain my lizard. Might not use your commode. Knock yourself out. Thank you. You're welcome. You think I'm fucking playing with you, asshole? Do you want this little girl to die, or that little girl, or yourself? 
or your bosom buddy with the badge. Now, I don't want to do it, but I will turn this place into the fucking wild bunch if I think that you are fucking with me. What do you want from me? I did what you said. You let him use the bathroom. No store does that. He comes in here every day and we bullshit. He's used my toilet a thousand times. If I told him no, he'd know something right. was up. I want him out of here, in his car, and down the road, or you can change the name of this place to Benny's World of Blood. Giving that pig signals. Are you kidding? I didn't do anything. He says you were scratching. I wasn't scratching. Are you calling him a liar? I'm not calling him a liar, okay? I'm simply saying if I was scratching, I don't remember scratching, and if I did scratch, it's not because I was signaling the cop. It's because I'm fucking scared shitless. Wait a minute. The guy's in the bathroom. Why don't I just go back there, shoot him in the back of the head, and we can get the hell out of here? Don't do that. Look. You asked me to act natural, I'm acting natural. In fact, under the circumstances, I think I had to get a fucking Academy Award for how natural I'm acting. You asked me to get rid of him, I'm doing my best. Well, your best better get a hell of a lot fucking better, or you are gonna feel a hell of a lot fucking worse. Everybody be cool. You be cool. Pussy, pussy, pussy! Uh, if you can find pussy for any lower, fuck it. <laughs> I will say one of the funniest moments in this movie, and it's not right what Cheech Marin calls him later on, but one of the funniest moments in this movie is where after George Clooney has broken Cheech Marin's hand, Tarantino's walking up the steps to go in the bar and he turns around, comes back and he goes, hi, how you doing? Enjoying it? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> We've got snapping pussy, smelly pussy. <laughs> um, uh, this, the opening of this movie is one of my favorite openings to a movie. Uh, yeah, the whole, whole liquor store, all of it. You're like, hell yeah. What's this movie about? This movie's fun. And, and then it's and then it's something completely different about halfway yeah. through. Even Tarantino acting can't can't kill the momentum of this movie, baby. <laughs> he's fine. He's you know why he's fine is because he's he's acting against fucking George Clooney. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> you don't like, like George Clooney in anything, do you? Peak nineteen ninety six George Clooney. What a what a man. You know what I'm saying. I don't know if Robert Rodriguez just like did it by mistake or whatever, but like the fact that George Clooney doesn't take off that that jacket until the end and you see that tattoo, a plus, compliments to the chef. I mean, it's got one of my favorite lines. Close out a movie. Go home, Kate. I may be a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard. <laughs> this. I, I, this movie's not underrated. I'm not going to say this movie's underrated. No. But it definitely feels like it should be... In the like grand scheme of Robert Rodriguez movies, I feel like this should be up there. Like, you know oh, what I mean? Like, like, if, we did a, if we did a Rushmore, like this is probably... This is, yeah. It's two behind, and I mean, I don't even know what one is, but yeah, no, this is like, this is like a oh, near. Oh. One, one is obviously Alita Battle Angel. 
Well, no, it's, it's not. No, no. Well, I guess we're gonna have a fight whenever we do the Robert Rodriguez Mount Rushmore. <laughs> yeah, fucking episode seven thousand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I love Robert Rodriguez, but like, I'm not chomping the bit to do a Mount Rushmore. No, no exactly. Like, he would have to like bang out like four really good movies in like seven years. Uh, I mean, looking at his list, you got what you got. Oh, no shade. Like, he's got stuff for sure. Like, Planet Terror is a legitimately fun movie to me. Sin City. Sin City. I mean... The Faculty. This. Machete. Oh, Desperado. He did a movie that went straight to Tubi. Really? Excuse me? Red 11? What is this? It's this movie that Tarantino said is the reason he knew him and Robert Rodriguez would be friends forever. He said, when I was talking to this movie and explaining it to Robert, he said, and then you pull in on us in the car and you go to the back of the car and you can see the woman in the trunk in there with Superman vision. And Robert Rodriguez knew exactly what I was talking about. (laughs) This is after Four Rooms, which I got to wonder that they did. they, They had to have collaborated on that a little bit, right? Well, I mean, they both direct a sequence of four rooms, yeah. So I wonder if this is like they met. They've had to have met before that. I think they were both on like kind of the press tour for like El Mariachi and Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. So I think that's where they meet. That makes more sense. I was just like, how does this, where does this movie start? Like the germ of the idea. Oh, that's not what I wanted. I would read a whole oral history of this movie. There's a documentary on the two disc uh, DVD called Full Tilt Boogie that like kind of like breaks it down. All right, you know what? You're right. I'll rent them. I'll rent. I'll rent the the Blu-ray just to watch Full Tilt Boogie. Apparently, Harvey Keitel refuses to be in most of that documentary because he's like, I'm there to work. <laughs> it's one of the only things I remember from Phil Full Tilt Boogie. Harvey Keitel strikes me as a all business, no bullshit. You know what I mean? Harvey Keitel clocks in at 9 a.m. He clocks out at 530. I don't care if we get the shots. I do what I do. I have a golf game scheduled at 12 o'clock. You get what you get. I go play golf. It does really feel like that. So this movie is about Seth and Richie and they are brothers and they're in trouble with the law. I'll say it. I'll say it, you know. We don't want to sugarcoat it from Mrs. Gecko. By the way, no one has ever figured this out since Robert Rodriguez. Evil George Clooney works. Evil George Clooney works. Name me a part of this movie that doesn't work because he's not playing an absolute scumbag. I think George Clooney should be more should be more evil in more things. Because right? he's evil I mean, in real life. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> like he's one of the nice ones. What's wrong with you? He is a nice one. George Clooney would probably about? do our podcast if we ran into him. Uh, yes. I mean, he is the dude who got South Park kind of started in some ways. He did get South Park kind of started in some ways. Yeah, he does seem like a pretty good dude now, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, he married that nice doctor lady. He's kind of stopped doing things. I mean, <laughs> no, he made a I movie was... last year. Oh, did he? He directed a movie, yeah. Oh, that's right. It comes out this year. No, he, oh, he he directed. He's another movie coming out this year. I swear he has a movie coming out this year that I was like. Uh, 
Well, here, you look this up, and I'm going to tell them what this is about. Yes, uh, please. Yeah, Seth and Richie, played by Tarantino and Clooney. Clooney is Seth, Richie is Tarantino, are brothers, and they're on the run from the law. they got to get to Mexico. They're going to meet up with these guys. They robbed a bank or something, and they're going to pay for asylum in this place called El Rey. Interestingly enough, El Rey is brought up again in other Tarantino movies, but we've never really gotten a full explanation of what it is. It seems to be just a place for gangsters to hide out, and they need to get across the Mexican border. They can't do it in their car because they'll be apprehended immediately. So they take hostage this family, who's played by Harvey Keitel, Juliet Lewis, and Ernest Liu as the <laughs> Fullers. And they get across the border, and they get to this bar called the Titty Twister, which, as George Clooney said, it's hard to miss, which he's absolutely right. And they go into the bar, and everything seems to be going well, and inevitably a fight breaks out after George Clooney kind of disrespects the guy at the, at the front door. And it turns out this is not just a bar. It's a bar full of vampires. <laughs> and that's, that's where the movie just kind of becomes a different movie. Fucking sick. What were they psychos? Were they psychos? <laughs> no, they were vampires. The psychos do not explode when sunlight hits them. I don't give a fuck how crazy they are. I love that Cheech Marin plays like four roles in this movie. Yes. Every new role, you go, no, that's different. Well, that's different. He, play, he plays the border patrol. He plays the he plays the vampire. He plays Carlos at the end. I I do love this movie. It's great. I mean, like, and the movie then just becomes like George Clooney, Harvey Keitel, Juliette Lewis, Ernest Liu, Tom Savini, and Fred Williamson just trying to survive the night in this bar. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Fred Williamson's last or her name is Frost. That's great. What's yeah. your favorite scare or scene? I mean, I love the opening ten minutes. John Hawks is so good. That was supposed to be Steve Buscemi. Oh. Oh, I think John Hawks plays it perfectly. John Hawks is great, but like, oh. I know. I guess he was like he was busy doing something else. But yeah, uh, Michael Parks is amazing. This is the movie that gets Michael Park, Red State, and Tusk, actually. This gets him the, the role in what? This is the movie that Kevin Smith sees that he says, I will one day write a movie for him, and that's when he writes oh. Red State and Tusk. Oh. Can't win them all, I guess. You know, you go to hell. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Really yeah, you laugh. should be. That was a really evil laugh. I'm very sorry. It was. <laughs> no, I think this is like also the movie that I wouldn't say cements Robert Rodriguez because he's done El Mariachi and Desperado, which that's a that's a fucking movie and a half right there. That's a fucking movie, you know. So it's, I, it's just oh god. <laughs> so I definitely goddamn that is a movie. It's a fucking movie. Eh? So it's definitely not. Like, this definitely doesn't cement him as, like, as, like, the number one, as, like, a as like a big-time director. But it definitely does help. Oh, yeah. I think this is an important horror movie in the sense of the 90s. It also kind of predates the twist, the big twist that another movie later in the 90s would absolutely crush. Talking about The Sixth Sense. 
not a horror movie, so we will not be talking about it on this list. I mean, oh, is that why we're not talking about that movie? Well, the movie's great. It's, it's not. It's not on the list because it's a. It's a thriller. I guess that's true. Hmm. I guess you could argue certain things on mine are a thriller, maybe not a horror movie. Well, I'm saying I would be the one that would put The Sixth Sense on his list, and I don't think it's a horror movie. So, no, that's fair. That's fair. What do you call it, though? Yeah, it's, I mean, and I'll say it. If you don't know the twist of this movie and you get to see it, it it does catch you off guard because I didn't know. I saw this movie, like, at my grandmother's house. Like, it was on TV. So I'll say this, too. It was a cut of TV where all they did was just edit out the nudity. So it was just, like, censor bars over, like, the women in the bar. Also, too, make vampires ugly. Make vampires ugly. Also, the first time I saw it, I came in right after the holdup, and I had no idea what the movie was about. And so when it became about vampires, I was like, is this a different movie? And my mom was like, no, no, this is the same movie. I don't want to do it, but I will turn this place into the fucking wild bunch if I think you are fucking with me. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to change the name of this place to Benny's World of Blood. I mean, like, if we can get right into it, why should this be on the list? It's because the twist does work. And it's also because, like... This is like Quentin Tarantino wrote a horror movie and like got his buddy to direct it. And he also stars in it. And let's be honest, if you don't think Tarantino wrote that part for himself, just wait till Selma Hayek shows up and starts dancing. And then you tell me if he wrote that part for himself. (laughs) 100%. What do you got at number eight? My number eight, I have another vampire movie. Look at that. Another low budget vampire movie from 1997 directed by the in my opinion american master horror director larry fessenden i have a movie about sam a self-destructive vaguely artistic new york bohemian who has recently lost his father and his longtime girlfriend he goes to a halloween party and meets a strange mysterious beautiful androgynous woman named anna then from there embarks on a sex-charged crazy misadventure with her from 1997 Directed and starring Larry Fessenden, Habit. Anna. Hi, Sam. You found me. Incredible. God, I was wondering what happened to you last night. Uh, I tried to wake you. You had passed out. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've been working late hours. You like hamburgers? I like a good hamburger. <laughs> I'm feeling a little lightheaded today. I thought I might need some red meat. <laughs> You're not a vegetarian, are you? Because I know what that's about. Not at all. Huh? I could be a vegetarian, but it's just too much stuff I couldn't give up on. Lobsters and clams. I don't think I could commit. What do you do at the restaurant? The dishes? Excuse me. Um, no, I'm the manager. Four nights a week. Mm-hmm. What about you? You work? I work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of work? Uh, I don't like to talk about it. It doesn't really have anything to do with who I am. You know what I mean? Well, how much do you need to know about someone to be attracted to you? Be attracted? Nothing. 
Stay interested, you need their phone number. Well, I suspect that the less you know about me, the longer you'll stay interested. Might have something to hide? No. Just, just that men like to fall in love, they don't like to stay in love. All love ends in sadness, that's my experience. People expect too much from love. This is like his first feature. It's not his first feature because there's there's a movie called No Telling that he does in 1990. It's not on IMDb. Well, they're wrong. <laughs> this is Habit 1982. It's this Habit 1982. Oh, maybe oh, that's a different Habit. He, oh, different I habit. think it's a never short mind. film. Uh, he directs a short film called Habit. Nah, never mind. Wrong film. Yeah, 1990. I should have been tipped off by that. Larry Fessenden's really good. Like, yeah. I'm very, I'm very curious to know something else he's done. So he is. A, he has 26 directing credits. Um, a lot of them are like shorts or TV shorts or like spots in like ABCs of Death. But Habit is his first. It's like he directs a short film called Habit, and then. In the 90s, he starts directing, he does No Telling in 1991, he does Habit in 1995, and then his, like, real stretch, which is, like, Wendigo, Last Winners, Beneath, and Depraved are all really good. That's, like, when he becomes known as, like, oh, wow, he's, like, one of the best horror directors. Habit is strange because it doesn't exist on, like, Blu-ray, it just exists on, like, a kind of crappy old DVD that like yeah. you, you have to i think still have to buy either like from ebay or from class i picks which is like his production company <laughs> that's that's the only way that's the only way i could find it was ebay and it's great it's a great movie it is deserving of a lot more love in my opinion he's got um, a weird shaped head there he's i got said a weird he's got a weird shaped head but he ben, looks like he looks like if you left a Jack Nicholson doll out in the sun. He, and I he's think got that's, charisma. He's always oh, he. You understand why his like longtime girlfriend like was with him. You know what I mean. This is also not the first movie we've talked about that has Larry Fessenden in him. No, I know uh, River of Grass. River of Grass. He plays Leroy Harold. He's an interesting director. I love. Fessenden. He's mostly known as an actor. He's popped up in a ton of horror movies, but he's also popped up in stuff like Broken Flowers, Bringing Out the Dead. The he's dead in Broken die. Flowers. He's in Broken Flowers. Who's he in Broken Flowers? Yeah. So I think the first time I saw this was once again. I was like, well, I've heard Habit is great. I've had Habit. 
like on a on a fucking hard drive for years. So like, let me finally watch Habit. If I'm gonna do a '90s horror movie stuff, I want to see it. And I turned it on, and it was I was fucking blown away by just how compelling it is, how good it is, how gritty it is, and how realistic it is. I didn't expect to like because it's it's like a bunch of actors i've never heard of never seen in a movie that's like very low budget it was apparently shot over a three-month period and it just fucking works man this movie's real good Oh, make no mistake, like, what Fessenden does in this movie is, and once again, it's very different from your last vampire movie. Also, I had a vampire movie in there, too. Oh, weird. Mm -hmm. It's been nothing Mm -hmm. but vampire movies almost this whole thing. What Fessenden does so well is, unlike Death by Temptation, where the most you're going to get there is just kind of torn apart and eaten and your your troubles are over, or in From Dust Till Dawn, where it looks like it's just kind of an all-out feeding frenzy, with this one, it's almost treated like a sickness. It's like akin to there's another vampire movie that we'll do next time that I have that kind of treats it as a disease, kind of like a alcoholism or a drug addiction mm-hmm. where it makes. Yeah, it makes you kind of feel disgusting and it makes you well, it, it, it like you're kind of you're DTing, you know, you're like detoxing mm-hmm. and you're shaking. And you need the blood to to stay alive. It treats it a lot like that. Where you essentially when you become like a vampire, it's not fun. It's not like fun, sexy time. It's like gross. I need to murder to live. I feel terrible all the time. I'm constantly detoxing when I'm not having any blood. I mean, with this, though, like, she becomes, like, it becomes a habit for both people. Like, she mm-hmm. needs to feed on him, but he's also kind of addicted to seeing her. Mm-hmm. He's addicted to, how do I put this nicely? The Can you yeah. edit that out? Yeah. Can you edit that out no. in real time, actually? <laughs> no, I'll just, no, I'll just, I'll bleep it. Wow, oh, somebody so is having coffee this morning. That's fine. I don't care. You're not wrong. Like he is drunk off that ass. Like yeah, no. And it's, let's it's, be let's be honest too. And I'm saying this as nicely as I can. I get it. I would oh, yeah. totally go for it. Like she is exactly what you want in a '90s girl. Like just weird androgynous, short hair, oddly confident. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to be gross or lecherous about it. But like, no, I get it. <laughs> Hold on. Like, and he says he's not going to be gross or lecherous. I'm going to edit in just like the wolf howling and like pounding on the table <laughs> in a mask. Like that's it's one of those things where like Larry Fessenden gets involved with this girl and she just like she seems a little rough at first. I mean, like if you know anything about movies, you know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. He seems pretty worse for where everything seems to be going bad. Nothing good is happening. And then. I think the movie's still believable because you understand how someone in the situation who has like lost his father, who has just fallen out of like a long-term committed relationship, how they would be like, yeah, I'll fucking this girl who's very weird and bites me when we have sex. Like, let's go down this rabbit hole. Let's just completely self-destruct. You get it. You like, you kind of get why someone would do that. And what I think is so good about this movie is it is a slow burn movie that 
the mystery is so interesting that you never feel like you're being strung along. I agree with you on that because it is very upfront about what's going on. Like if you know movies, you're like, well, he's obviously being attacked by a vampire, but it becomes like more and more so like he tries to wean himself off of it. You know, this one, I'm actually very curious. What is your favorite scare or scene in this movie? So the thing is, I don't think the movie is like super scary. It's just like kind of creepy. It's like a good mood piece, but Mm -hmm. I love like the final attack in his dad's apartment. So you kind of have this like literal dealing with the, you know, memory of your father and dealing with like what's been left over and all this stuff. And then like also having to deal with the fact that like you've basically become a vampire, like you're undead. No, see, she doesn't drain him completely. She's just feeding off of him. Which turns him. Oh, see, I thought the rule of vampirism was, like, you have to drain the person completely, but then feed them some of your blood. Oh, I guess. But doesn't he, he like, doesn't he, like, take some of her blood to become, like, a vampire? I think, That's why he, like, kills himself at the end. That's a spoiler. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, like, she forces <laughs> the blood into her. <laughs> yes, it is. I think she forces the blood into his mouth. Because if you look, there's that shot where he's on the ground, but she's gone. The stuff out at Thanksgiving, I, it's so weird, too, because it's a, it's a weird, like, perfect grab of, like, 90s subculture in New York, too. Yes. Yes. There's a Buscemi just walking around, and you're like, that makes sense. Why wouldn't there be a Buscemi <laughs> walking around? Is there? He pops up for, like, one scene, Michael Buscemi. Oh, that's great. Right. It's it's cute. It's like, oh hey, hey look, look, he's back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's back from outer space. Like it's, it's like he followed him up from Florida. It's very true. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. They are together in that movie. Mm-hmm. Well, they've got their obviously people they like to work with. He does have people he likes. I mean, he's got the same collaborators over and over again. It's an interesting movie. What else do you want to say about it? As you can see, once again, I love putting movies on the top ten list that people have not seen. Yeah. And so here we are again with another movie people have not seen. It's lovely. It's great. And I think people should check it out when they get a chance. Because it is kind of the perfect spooky ooky time of the year type movie. It's very true. And it's, you know, God, it's, and it's like, it's weird too, because it is the 90s, like, you get this weird, like, there is almost a statement on, like, like, sex in the 90s too, which is very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. This definitely is the type of movie that would not be made by a studio system. Like, it's too, like, especially in the 90s, like, it's too just languorous, it's too long and boring, and your male lead is too weird looking. It is but a little long, isn't it? It's a little long in the tooth. I mean, literal, because his tooth, teeth are really big. But, like, I think that, like, languorous pace kind of, it it helps. It, you know what I mean? Because it starts much like another movie on my list, my next movie. I think we have, like, a little part on my list where it's, like, movies that are not long, but are definitely very slow for good reason. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I guess mine, mine are, my movies are a little more quick-paced, I think. I think this should be on the list because, like I said, when I talk about 90s horror, I think we talk about 
what do we talk about when we talk about 90s horror? I think we talk about movies that are like in the mainstream and that most people know. And this is not a movie that most people know. This is kind of under the water. And I it d- deserves more recognition. More people should watch this. It's great. I don't know how you would watch it. I don't know how you would find it. But please, Severin, Vinegar Syndrome, somebody, please. Criterion, anybody. This movie deserves attention, in my opinion. I agree completely. Just like I think the next movie in mine deserves some attention. And the next movie in mine is a movie that is directed by Ernest Dickerson, a guy who we've mentioned on this podcast already. And it is one part B picture mixed with a cast of that guys and stars on the rise will have your head absolutely spinning, not unlike the guy who's going to tell you the story. Some excellent mythology mixed with perfect 90s humor and some incredible gore gives this long crypt episode a real cinematic feel. This is, of course, the movie from the people who brought you the show Tales from the Crypt. This is Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. Now you got us into this mess. What the hell are you going to do to get us out of it? We just have to survive the night. That's all I can tell you. That's bullshit. Roach is right. We're entitled to know what's going on here. When I came here tonight, I thought you would be safe. I mean, there are only five of you. They need seven. And then he came with, with Bob and the sheriff. It's like tumblers in a lock. Everything has to line up. Seven stars, seven people. Yeah, yeah. Mm. God damn it, I'm not making these rules up. And I didn't, I didn't ask for this, all right? You want to know what's going on? Shall I tell you? In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. You're talking Genesis, that beginning? And the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. The darkness wasn't empty. It was full of creatures, full of demons. And they had seven keys formed into a circle that focused the power of the cosmos into their hands until God stepped forth and said, let there be light. And there was light. He scattered the demons. And he scattered the keys all across the universe. And we fast forward about two or three million millennia. Now the demons are back. They got six of the keys. And one day they find the seventh key here on Earth. Now to save it, God filled it with the blood of a carpenter who was being crucified by the Romans. And he gave it to a thief named Sirak. The blood in... Inside... Is that? Some of it. Yeah. It gets used, you see. Sirak had to refill it. Bad neck wound. Talon. Caught the artery here. Most of what's in here now belonged to a soldier. Named Dickerson gave it to me in France. August 23rd, 1917. Funny how you remember the big dates, isn't it? Jeez, that uh, <clears throat> would make you... Uh... What happens when you run out of blood? 
they bring back the darkness. Just like that. Just like that. So. Now you know. You feel better? What do you think of this? It does a good job of conveying a good Tales from the Crypt episode and like drawing it out like 90 minutes. It's very true. It is 90 minutes, but hey, it does have your guy in it. Mm-hmm. It does have my guy in it, Dick Miller. Yeah. You must boy. have been so excited when you saw him. I well, it was. Before, I mean, I noticed that his name was in the like one of the higher in the credits, and so I was like, "Ooh, okay, all right." Spotlighting Dick Miller in this, huh? I mean, he's a staple of movies at this time. He's always been a staple of movies. He was a part of like the Corman crew, and so I think he pops up in a bunch of like Corman stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that he has kind of gotten pigeonholed into not pigeonholed but like he he went into like a lot of like horror movies yeah it makes sense i mean he's in gremlins around this time like he's what do you call it he's i mean he's doing he's doing kind of his his like final run i mean chopping malls years before this but yeah this is kind of this is kind of his I mean, this is, I mean, I think Dick Miller shows up for like a couple days, does what he needs to do and like rolls out like he's such a reliable hand. And I think for this one in particular, he's probably around a lot longer because this is, he's in it a lot. He's like actually probably one of the, not key characters, but like he's he's in there. I, I see what you did. I see what you did with that joke. It so, took me a second. I, I, yes. I We got there, but. Yes. Yes, we did. Well, I guess this is mine, so I got to answer some questions. You do have to answer some questions, and I don't have my phone. Oh, there it is. When did you first see this movie? Probably right around the time I watched Poison Ivy three, the new Seduction. Um, it was once again another, <laughs> and that's a that's a joke that no one's gonna get because that probably won't make it anywhere. But this is another point of movie that just kind of came on cable at one point. And weirdly, this is a movie where like it was definitely edited for television. But it's so tame to a certain extent by today's standards. I almost don't think you need to edit a single thing out. Yeah, I don't think you would really. I'm trying to think. It seems like. So was this a television movie or was it like an actual? No, this was a this was this was a real theatrical movie. But I mean, like I'm saying, like the version I saw was on like Sci-Fi Channel at like probably like ten at night. Uh. That makes sense. Okay. That makes more sense. It feels like 95, for whatever reason, there appeared to be like those stall, like a couple of stalwart shows that had been on TV finally getting like mm-hmm. the big, big budget television adaptation. And it was Tales from the Crypt and Mystery Science Theater 3000. Two shows that are very similar and yet very different in their own ways. Very, very similar and very different. I kind of love that I think the opening of of Demon Knight is like a callback to like the very first episode of Tales from the Crypt. 
is that what they're doing there? I, I I've seen like think... I've seen a handful of Tales from the Crypt episodes. I because I think the very first episode of Tales from the Crypt is about a woman who kills her husband and then the husband comes back from the grave and kills her. I think it's been a long time since I did my Tales from the Crypt watch through. It's an interesting show. I don't know if you've ever read like Tales from the Crypt or Vault of Horror, The Haunt of I mean, Fear, which is my other favorite one. It's EC Comics, so. Yeah, it is EC so Comics. Sorry. Yeah, it's EC Comics, so. You know, too, and it's something that I don't think they do enough anymore. I love comics that are like maybe like four issues are all connected and then like you just go on to something new. Like I love like non-interconnecting stories and comics, like little shorts. They put out a Twilight Zone comic like back in the early 2010s. That was great. Like four issues of it were all like one story and then like it just went on to a new story. Okay, so it isn't the first episode. I thought it I thought it was. I thought there was an episode that was never mind. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no one, no one was going to fact check us. I promise you. I am going to fact check us. Well, that's good. No, but the first episode did star a young William Sadler. He's the main guy in this, right? He is the main guy in this. Yeah. He. Yeah. Well, well, there's your reference then. Technically, you were right. Technically, I was right. He's probably best known as like the guy from Die Hard Two or any of the number of shows he's been on honestly if you showed me this and showed me die hard this would be where i'd know him more i guess i guess i should answer what this is about there is this guy Mm -hmm. played by william sattler and the movie opens with him being chased by this other guy who's played by billy zane and william sattler has a weird tattoo on his hand and he's carrying this thing that billy zane wants we're not quite sure what is but he gets trapped in this hotel with these other people who are from like this small nowhere town. This includes such character actors as Dick Miller, CCH Pounder, soon to be star Jada Pinkett Smith, and Thomas Hayden Church. And, and the whole premise of this thing is that he has this thing. It doesn't matter what it is. Like I'll get into it later what it is. It doesn't matter what it is, but he has this thing in Billy Zane's character who turns out not to be this soft-spoken uh, guy in a cowboy hat. That's that's so funny when he gets thrown out of that window and he just he just kind of loses his shit. Yeah, he's just like, all right, that's it. Humans, you're not worth the skin you're printed on. <laughs> say what you will. Say what you will. If we do an awards at the end of this top ten list for like for like best performance, Billy Zane has a real case. I love Billy Zane's performance throughout this whole thing. Billy Zane is he's do, he's doing a lot of heavy lifting in this movie. It's um, two years before Titanic. It's still shit heel Billy Zane. He's so good. Like that's 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 his best mode. I think it's it's before he becomes like they try and sell him as the like hot leading man. And he kind of has this, he's in more of this just like shitty, just awful 90s dude mode. I think that works for him a lot better, personally. Yeah, I guess that's very true. I mean, he's wonderful as this as this demon. So essentially what happens is like everyone shows up at this hotel, Billy Zane, William Sadler, and all the people I mentioned before. 
And it looks like William Sadler is the bad guy, but in classic Tales from the Crypt fashion, they they flip it on you. Turns out Billy Zane's the bad guy. He's a demon. The thing he wants is this ancient vial that if they get a hold of, these demons will reinstate the darkness on Earth, which I guess is what happened before Genesis takes place in the Bible. It's weird how they mix the Bible into this movie at one point. Yeah, it gets pretty bible pretty quick. Not going to lie. Yeah, but it's never preachy at you. I yeah, I never thought it was like it was like bad. Like, oh, you gotta turn to the Lord. Like, I just kind of think of like, no, this is like a story about good versus evil and like the ultimate good and the ultimate evil. <sighs> I fucking love William Sadler. Like, it's it saddens me that like you couldn't have done something with this character. Like. I almost would love to like pitch the idea, go to someone, whoever owns the rights is and go, you do this, but as a show. And it's just like, you don't even change the name. You call it Tales from the Crypt Presents Demon Knight. You run it for like four seasons. And like the last episode is him getting to that town. I mean, that could be fun. Oh, it'd be uh, tons of fun. And the thing is, too, it doesn't have to stop there. Also, here's the other thing, too. You could just do an entire, like, anthology series. Like, or you know what else they you know what else they could do? You know what? I'm sorry. I don't need to do a television series. That's far too long, and I don't have the creative prowess for it. You just get Jada Pinkett Smith and have it take place when her time is to pass it on. You could do that. I would love to see, like, a comic book. Yeah, a comic Bring book would back. be great. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You know what? Yeah. Just have them essentially adapt this into a comic book. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 fucking sourced from a comic book. I mean, it's, there's no, like, Demon Knight story in Tales from the Crypt. Because the thing about... I don't know if you've ever read Tales from the Crypt. The thing about Tales from the Crypt is every story was maybe eight pages long. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I But I'm saying, like, you could do this as a graphic novel. Yeah, you could. With a comic book, you can do, like, bigger things, you know what I mean? Like, you could oh. do, like, a lot more, um... You're not, you're not saying six men in demon rubber suit costumes is what you're saying? Yeah, I'm saying you could do, like, full-on, like, huge production value, but because you can just, you can just draw it. Exactly. You know I mean? So you could tell, like, these, this huge, overarching, big mammoth story... But you don't have to, like, you know, film it <laughs> in a way that, like, makes it look cheap. Oh, for sure. I mean, that being said, the reason this movie works is because it's in the 90s. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. This, like is... this, this, movie, this movie would work today if you had a budget, for sure. But if you had this budget today, it would look terrible. It, I think, well, because today they would just, they would just put, everything would be CGI. Agreed. But I mean, like, this movie, I mean, you got to admit, this movie kind of rocks. No, this movie looks great. Yeah, it does rock. Like, And it's fun, too. It's essentially like a horror movie, but like, what? A, I guess the way I've always kind of looked at this movie is like, this is like a horror movie, but what if a horror movie had someone who like not only knew the rules, but was also like, I also brought a gun, so fuck the rules. I'm going to shoot the rules in the fucking <laughs> eyes. Like, like that's kind of what I love about William Sadler's character is like, he's been fucking doing this for a long time. Like, he's capable. He is capable. And it. what I think also, another thing I really like about this movie is he's capable and Jada Pinkett Smith is capable and mm-hmm. CCH Ponder is capable, but Thomas Hayden Church, not capable. 
Well, Thomas Hayden Church is a dick. By the way, it's so funny that's Thomas Hayden Church because you're just like, damn, Thomas Hayden Church was kind of a heartthrob at one point. I mean, he still has that face, but... He still looks like Thomas Hayden Church, but I thought it was Tom Berenger for, like, a solid 15 minutes. It was never Tom Berenger once. It couldn't be never Tom, Tom Berenger, Berenger if it wanted to be. I mean, I you have the Tom that's part, so that's probably where you pulled it. Is that the, from, is that the fucking Sniper from Sniper? No, it's not the sniper That's from a Sniper. Deep Tom Berger reference. Thank you, ladies a, and gentlemen. Yeah, you could have you could have just gone alien. You could have just said, you could have just said, "Hey, is that Tom?" Ber-? No, that's Tom Scarrett. Damn it! Well, that is Tom Scarrett. You're yeah, wrong. that is. Tom I'm right. Scarrett. Well, we're off on we're off on a tangent. Are uh, we looking for well, Mr. Goodbar? Because it's Tom Berger. Well, Freddie got fingered. All right, that's Tom Green. That is, that's Tom Green. You're getting your Toms confused. Yeah, yes, all those Toms. That's kind of the premise of this movie. And, like, the whole idea is, like, he tells them, like, later, and it's the clip will come in from, one of you is going to take my spot. Like, this thing is, like, going to keep back the darkness. And as long as we have it, it's essentially the idea of, like, if they get item X, movie ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. If they get If they get the thing, if they get the MacGuffin, uh, it's over. Yeah, like, the, the the credits might as well, like, not even credits, it should just go to black. I'm so sorry, I am reading what was supposed to be the next movie, and that's fucking insane. What's the next movie? It, it, there's the post-credit sequence where the Crypt Keeper is like, the next movie's gonna be called Dead Easy, and it's gonna be about, like, New Orleans zombies... <laughs> Which is supposed to come out the uh, next Oh, yeah, Halloween. he says that at the end. That's right, he says that at the end. He pops up, like, he pops up halfway through, because I think they thought they were going to be in the movie-making business at this point. Which, honestly speaking, it's not a stupid idea when you think about it. They just were a little too early. It was just a little too early. I mean, Bordello of Blood, I think, comes out the next year. I will say that starring Dennis Miller is probably the reason why no one wanted to see it. I've never seen Bordello of Blood. I've only ever seen Demon Knight. So it is fine. Bordello of Blood is a it is totally fine. You know what was apparently originally planned to be the follow like another follow up to Demon Knight, a potential follow up to Demon Knight. Hmm. And I was reading this while we were talking about it, and I wanted to bring it up, but from dusk till dawn, apparently, there was like talks about it being like a sequel to demon knight really yeah and then like i guess very that makes a lot of sense those two those two chew a lot of the same dirt i mean from dust till dawn is vastly better made well i think from dust well i'm not gonna say i think from dust you could could argue you could argue i mean listen to the name bordello of blood if you had just named it that like and made and just essentially did from dust till dawn also, yeah. and I don't mean to alarm you, I'm looking at the Bordello of Blood and uh, Demon Knight posters, and I think, I think they just took, they just took the Crypt Keeper's face and like made it smaller, and then gave him a little glass. Yeah, that's that's. A, I mean, it looks the, like a real shoddy Photoshop job here. Does it? I guess I've never put that together. To me, it does. Anyway. I mean, he's behind those legs. The Crypt Keeper's small. I'm not sure what you're thinking, how big you think he is. The Crypt Keeper, is he a boy? I think it's irrelevant. 
I think he's a dude who tells Jesus this is on. <laughs> yeah, did you like that one? Yeah, that was good. Oh. That was good. You got Ooh, me. Bordello of Blood is on Hulu. I might fucking watch this 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 uh this year. I'm on track to do 31 movies. Oh, good for you. I yeah, am not on track never, to do that. I'm gonna send you a list of 80s horror movies that I'm probably gonna be watching in the next 52 weeks because oh, I plan okay. on really coming correct with the 1980s next year. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. You know my list is gonna be a bunch of bullshit. You know that, right? Yeah, but, like, that's why I'm coming correct with the other side of it. All right. Get out of here. No, 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 no. Like, you say a bunch of bullshit. Like, that's like, that's like, yeah, I figured out what to put with. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no, no. I figured it out because there's a loophole in how you have to play this game that I figured out. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. My next question for you is, hey, Ben, what's your favorite scene or scare? I mean, kind of any time Billy Zane is tempting them. The dance one with Jada Pinkett Smith is actually kind of amazing. And then it kind of like replays later. Mm-hmm. It's good. Also, too, she bleeds William Sadler and just puts it all over her body. Honestly? That's pretty cool. That's pretty, that's pretty sick. I must say, that's yeah. pretty fucking sick. Yeah, it is. I do love the ending, too, where she gets on that bus and there's that other guy and you're like, oh, fuck, it's starting again. Set this in the future and make that guy Idris Elba. Oh, yeah, I would love I would I know. Love Could that. you imagine, like, you do, like, an all-black, like, Demon Knight 2? I want to call it Nightfall, but I'm not sure. We'll work on it. Yeah. Back to the drive. So... Exactly. Demon Knight 2 Darkest Night. There, yeah, no, that doesn't work either. But I would say favorite scare. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know if there's really like a real jump. You know, when it turns out the kid's evil, I thought that was pretty creepy when I was little. Can I hold it? Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like the kid in the, the house. Sorry, I, I watched the first 30 minutes yesterday and then watched like the last 30 minutes this morning. And no, so you're I, good. Was, I was just Yeah, that like, kid kind of goes away. Yeah, mm-hmm. that kid just kind of goes away, doesn't he? <laughs> like throughout parts of it. He just disappears for a solid, they're like a fucking shooting schedule and he just like disappears. Yeah, I think it's, it's also great. because like he's supposed to, he's supposed to be the one you don't suspect the most because they keep like making you forget he's there. Mm-hmm. The scene where CCH Pounder flips him off without an arm might be the funniest moment. Like that's in pretty a good. Movie. Like that's, that's CCH Pounder knows she's better than this and knows she will do better work than this as like a serious actress, but like she is just fucking having fun here. She's having a great time. Yeah. Never gonna stop at all. I'll tell you this too. Dick Miller has brought you and me a lot of pleasure in our lives. I like the fact that he just gets surrounded by naked women and drinks, like in that one scene. Like, I, mean, I think Uncle Wooly went out happy. It's pretty sad. It's pretty sad. He adds a lot of depth and sadness to that character. A lot more than it deserves. Yes and no. I mean, I guess you're probably gonna ask me why does it deserve to be on the list? Well, yeah, Ben, why does it deserve to be on the list? I mean, in a year where, like, 
there's a movie coming up on my number three position that like kind of ruled this spot of horror. Like this movie makes a real understated case for it. It's just a little too, little too spooky to kind of make the ground that this other movie I'm thinking of is talking about. So honestly, yeah, that's probably why. Like it's, it's kind of just a perfect horror reaction movie. And like it would pair, like if we're not pairing it with other, each other's movies and we're just pairing it with our own, I would honestly say like like this and Dust Till Dawn like are a perfect like perfect watch along and fuck it just pretend it's in the same universe. I agree. I think From Dust Till Dawn has a little bit more of the, the like pastiche of like big budget movie, but I think what Ernest Dickerson's able to pull off on like a minimal budget in probably half the time is pretty remarkable. I meant to say this. I actually have seen this movie before as a wee little lad. I think my mom watched it and I was like See? remembering like the back half of it. I was like, oh, I remember this. So you get it. I get it. My mom yeah. loved your mom. Script. I love that your mom watched horror movies. I think that's really adorable for some reason. My mom loves horror movies. My mom still watches horror movies. Well, that takes us on to your number seven. My number seven is another slow burn movie and the first of two movies from the wave of horror that came out of Japan after the economic crash of the late 80s, early 90s. That is, of course, the just wildly underrated, wonderful movie that I think, Ben, you said you didn't know, you had never heard of. It's from 1997. It is a film directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa and is about... People who are just being murdered and have an X's carved into their neck. That is, of course, Cure. それまで我慢してくださいね。はい。ねえ。昔のこと。どこまで覚えてる。先生と喋ってる。それだけかな。不安は。不安。何の不安。結構落ち着いてるね。不安はあんたの方にある。え？タバコ吸っていい？ここは禁煙よ。あ、そう。私の方にある不安って何のこと？
先生俺の話聞いてくれるいいわよ前は俺の中にあったものが今全部外にあるだから先生の中にあるものが俺には見えるんだよねその代わり俺自身は空っぽになった This is brilliant. <laughs> This is the one I'm kind of mad at you, like, I didn't know about until now. I probably should have had it higher on my list, but I, yeah.、Uh, no, I think this is kind of perfect in some ways. I mean, it also means I get to talk about it now. When did you first see this? I first saw this a while ago, like four or five years ago. It was like on when Criterion, I remember if it was when they launched Filmstruck or if it was still on Hulu. But this was just like one of the movies they had up in like the horror section. And I was like, oh, what's this? I've never heard of it. Apparently, it has a Criterion release. And so it has a really weird cover. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the like. The, the American poster. It is a weird one. And I was like, okay, I'll watch this. And I turned it on and I was like blown away by just how quickly it gets into its plots, like so, so, so thoroughly. And I was like blown away by like how good this movie was. And I was like, how the fuck have I never heard about this? And I dig more into、uh, Kurosawa, the director. And found that he is like one of Japan's biggest directors of the last couple of decades. Pulse is his, a movie that he made. He's made Tokyo Sonata, Creepy, a couple others. Like, he is considered like one of Japan's like premier directors. And he does quite a few horror films. And so, yeah, I was just like, Okay, this guy's out here. Cure's out here. And it became like a movie that was, I like tried to tell people about. I don't think I've really ever gotten people to, to, to watch it.、But、luckily, it has a pretty substantial cult following and is getting a 4K restoration that should be out around the time this episode comes out. So look for that. I think the way I told this to someone else, I was like, imagine seven. What if the ending was bleaker? <laughs> and then they were like, well, and the ending of Seven's pretty bleak to begin with. I said, yeah, and this is somehow bleaker. The premise of this movie is so fucking clever. So it's about essentially, it is about people who kind of snap and murder people, and then they'll carve like a large X into the victim's neck. 
But each time the murder happens, it's a different person who's who's perpetrated it. And so they keep wondering why different people are committing these murders but having like the same modus operandi. It becomes discovered, and this is as far as I want to go because I kind of want to keep it a mystery because I, I don't think people have seen this, that there is someone who is using hypnosis to use criminal suggestion into strangers' minds and is essentially using that to, like, infect people. Fucking great. This movie's movie's so good. Do you you think he's good at, like, hypnosis, or do you think there is something more there? I think there's something more there. I think that's... I think think you're kind of supposed to, like, have... It's supposed to be ambiguous, and I think you're supposed to kind of, like, assume that the detective, Kenshi Takabe, played by Koji Yukisho, has, like, sort of taken over the power, essentially, at the end. He's kind of brilliant in this. He's more than kind of brilliant. This is, I think, one of the best performances of the 90s. Full stop. Dude, maybe the only person to contend with them is the guy who he catches. Mm-hmm. That dude is like you took Hiromu Takahashi and sucked all the charisma out of him and injected him with evil. Mm-hmm. 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 And there's nothing menacing about him on the surface. Mm-hmm. He's just, he just, he's like a nerd. He's got glasses. He's played by Masato Higawara, who plays Nayama no menace to him at all and yet like when it eventually comes down to it you're like oh he's the scariest fucking human in this movie oh yeah yeah nothing behind the eyes and i think the scary part to me is when they keep him in the cell and the murders keep happening you're just like with john doe you're like well we caught him like it's got to be over it's like nope there's still stuff going on the cool thing about both those movies is that they came out at this the same year right like 97 yeah, I believe I believe seven, seven is five. No, seven is ninety-five. Okay, so but still close enough to each other to where it's like, huh? This is very good. <laughs> I think what this movie's getting at, where this movie kind of goes, is it predates Ringu, which is like that's the movie that's like the flashpoint for like the Japanese like wave of horror that lasts until like two thousand four, two thousand five. But I think this might be the best one out of that. I mean, I have another one that's that that is ranked higher. So this, I think, is the secret gem of that like boom. Yeah, I would agree because like the your number six is like definitely kind of like taken its place amongst like the most like renowned in some ways. But yeah, this feels very hidden. I think this gets overshadowed by Pulse. And that's kind of what I was like. I was like, how come this movie couldn't have gotten remade in America? Like, I do think it is the Seven problem. People have just been like, oh, this is a ripoff of Seven. Yeah, but Seven isn't even about the same premise. It's very befuddling. What is your favorite scene or scare in this movie? The cops. When when you just see one cop, it's all in like that wide shot. And one cop is just like... <laughs> I mean, it's like, wow, that's you know, fucked up. That's really fucked up. You know, and it's not something we can we can link it to for the two lists. But 
You know what I would pair this with? Yeah, go for it. I'd pair it with the Empty Man. Yeah. Girl! And that's when he just started swinging wildly, officer. He picked up Woo! his own dog. He threw him out the window. I mean, he landed on a thing of pillows. He's fine, but... <laughs> he lost his mind. If we can just say it like that last shot. What an ending, you know? That last shot is as good as the opening shot of, like, someone in love. Yes. And they're almost kind of reversed. Yes. This leads me to ask the question of, why should this be on your list? Well, good question, Gessa. I think this is going to be a movie that, when that 4K restoration comes out, and I think it has not been announced yet, but I think there's going to be a Criterion release of it. I think this movie is going to be reappraised and reevaluated and remembered as one of the best horror movies of the 90s. I'm just saying, get on the ground floor. You know what I mean? On the ground floor of a movie from 1997. Yep. It's as ground floor as you can get in 2021. I guess that takes us on to my number seven. Well, my number seven. It's about a writer who meets his number one fan and all that comes with her love and obsession of his work. It has a pair of powerhouse leads in James Caan and Kathy Bates, who Bates would win an Oscar for this for Best Actress, and they ground this beautiful adaptation and make it flow nicely. It might be one of the most accessible and as well faithful adaptations of Stephen King, as well as might be the best adaptation of Stephen King ever, and that's saying a lot. This is the movie starring James Caan, Kathy Bates, Richard Farnsworth. This is, of course... Rob Reiner's movie before he forgot to how to pick up a camera. This is Misery. I know I'm only 40 pages into your book, but... Well, what? Nothing. What is it? It's ridiculous. Who am I to make a criticism to someone like you? It's all right, I can take it. Well, it's brilliantly written, but then everything you write is brilliant. Pretty rough stuff. So the swearing, Paul. There, I said it. Yeah, the, uh, the profanity bothers you. It has no nobility. These are slum kids. I, I was a slum kid. Everybody talks like that. They do not? What do you think I say when I go to the feed store in town? Oh, now, Wally, give me a bag of that effing pig feed and 10 pounds of that bitchly cow corn. And in the bank, do I tell Mrs. Bollinger, oh, here's one big bastard of a check. Give me some of your Christing money. There, look there. See what you made me do? Oh, Paul, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, so... Sometimes I get so worked up. Can you ever forgive me? I love you, Paul. Your mind, your creativity, that's, that's all I meant.
why they do my boy Richard like that. Thought about this during the week last week. You had a couple hardships this week. You had some stuff go on at your work and you had to deal with your dog. But I have to tell you, after I got done with Cat on the Brain, I thought to myself, well, you know, the only justice is knowing that at some point, some time during the week, Tyler had to watch Richard Farnsworth get ventilated with a shotgun. Fucker. When I saw him show up in this movie and I remembered who he was, I was like, that old man is going down in like an hour and 20. I can't wait. You're 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 a monster. I am. I am. But at the same time, to quote Heath Ledger, I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. He's so good in this. He's such the a scene cute, where his wife puts man. his hand on his leg and he goes, when you're in this car, you're a deputy of the state. Oh, <laughs> it's so cute. I'm going to say it, too. I think the wife planned it ahead of time. I think she knew that this would happen, and I think she got him killed so she could go out and fuck other guys. I think, I think that's I, the plot. You know, I think you're projecting. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, how dare you? Paul Sheldon is a writer, and he writes stuff, but he's most famous for these books called Misery, which appear to be, like, the most well-respected trash romance novels. Yeah, like a pretty well-respected trash garbage romance novels. He's written his last one and he's up at his favorite place where he writes and he's just finished a new book and it's not misery. It's something new. He gets in an accident and luckily someone saves him. And the person who saves him is this woman named Annie Wilkes. And she's a huge fan of his misery books. And unfortunately, they're kind of snowed in. So where they are is where she has to kind of keep him. And she comes back into town. The phone lines are still down. She says they'll call you as soon as they're back up, and she gets the new Misery book, and unfortunately, Paul Sheldon has decided to kill Misery. (laughs) Fucking big mistake. Big mistake. You dirty birdie. (laughs) She can't be dead. (laughs) Annie, people slipped away in childbirth all the time. I don't want her to slip away. This movie only works because James Caan and Kathy Bates are doing what they're doing in this movie. Yes. James Caan, I did not expect to to like his performance in this movie that much. But man, is he good. He's so so good. Reiner said he goes, by the 16th day, James Caan was going nuts. Because I'd be like, James, today, I want you to be in bed. (laughs) It's because... Like if you once again, this is kind of like Psycho. This is a movie where they should just re they should redo every twenty years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the thing is too, like it's once again, it's a problem because you know what's gonna happen. Like she is so good at slow burning the crazy. Mm-hmm. The scene we're gonna come out of the scene where she's talking to him and she goes, "Well, everything you write is brilliant, so good so far," and she goes. Well, it's the language, Paul. There, I said it. Like, like, like you're just like, like you don't even know James Conn. Get out of there. I know you can't walk. Get out of there, man. What are you doing? I mean, there's millions of copies of it. It's it's going to be printed next year. As you've said, Paul, like the match. <laughs> he gets kind of like trapped here and he kills off misery and she does not take that well. And she tells him you have to write a new book and don't worry nobody's coming for you because i didn't tell anybody she goes from someone who appears to be on the surface like 
fairly sympathetic of like, oh, we're gonna, I'm going to constantly some pump into. But like, as soon as she gets that book, you're like, mm, this is going to end badly. I don't know how this is going to end badly, but I know this is going to end badly. And then it ends badly. And you're like, mm, I saw that coming. Yeah. And she, I mean, he's in bed, like his legs are fucked up. He can't move. And like, she she comes to him and says, like, I know what we're going to do. We're going to fix it. You're going to write a new book. You're going to bring misery back. And he's like, excuse me. Like, you feel so bad for Khan in this movie. You do. You really do. This movie really puts us. To pull off. No, because he's he is James. Con- he is thief. It's the titular thief. It is true. He is the titular character in thief. And. I feel so bad for him. I showed this to her. She'd never seen it. And she didn't know the leg breaking was coming. Uh, and she was like, why? And I was like, I was like, they put jelly in his leg. And she goes, that's disgusting. And he goes, yeah, we're not done yet. And she does it again. I think the leg breaking is probably more upsetting than what they, the original scenario was where she cuts off his legs. Because that's what happens in the book is she like saws off his feet. That which is, is rough. But... That's rough on the page. I think as a visual, the hobbling is a lot more viscerally upsetting. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, Seeing oh, that I foot go the other way. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. It, swing, it swings like a door. You're just like, oh, oh. Dude, she hits um, a fucking home run. She fucking see, knocks that shit out of the park. By the way, the only thing that tops that moment is where... He's sitting in his wheelchair looking out the window and she's out there doing something. She goes, hi, hon. And he just flips her off and she goes, such a kidder. So it's cute. Kathy Bates in this is like swings wildly from like cute lady to just the worst. Just the worst. Like when she drops the paper on his legs, you're like, Jesus Christ. Ooh. Ooh. And he decides, I mean, like, I mean, I'm not going to spoil it for you guys if you haven't seen it, but he decides to write another book and it's kind of ingenious how it becomes a game of cat and mouse. Well, also there's another, there's another hound dog out there and Richard Farnsworth trying to find said mouse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Kablamo! And then he's just gone. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) He's a sweet old man. I got the straight story for you. They murdered him. Oh, he's really good. I, I totally forgot he was in this too. <sighs> you fucking bastard! Like if he had been holding a dog when it happened, that's the only way that could have made that movie worse for you. Ugh. Ugh. You know, here's the thing: I'm fine with dogs dying in movies as long as it's not real. Because I'm like, no, you know what? That dog got a bonus. You get a bonus that day. You got, you got extra treats. I was re-listening to the part where we talk about the dog just lying down in Prisoner 701. That might still be the one of the funniest moments. <laughs> what, do, what, what did I say? Oh, they pay me to be an actor. I gotta lay down. <laughs> it's a dog uh, actor. They get, they, get, they, get, they get bonuses for the, the death scenes. Yeah. I'll say this. Scariest scene, I think, for me is not the hobbling. I think, for me, it is the scene... Where they're talking about the concept of like movie, like about those small films that you would see, like reels, like little cliffhangers. 
Oh yes. Yeah, I don't know why, oh, but yes. her 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 freak out there is just so. They were called cereals. I know that, Mister Man. I'm not stupid, you know. <laughs> when and where did you first see this? <sighs> I mean, like back in the day, like. My parents allowed me to rent this, even though I think it's R. Like, they're like, there's nothing in this movie that's bad. It's a soft R. You know what it I mean? It really is. Like, this well, would be like, PG-13 by today's standards. Like, it's R, but, like, there's not, like, the, the I think the reason it gets rated R is because his fucking chest bursts open with that shotgun. <laughs> like, that's well, really that and I think Well, that I think choke on it, you fuck, when he... Yeah. I will say the look on Khan's face when she comes into the room and he's got the match and he goes, you ever wondered who Misery's real father was or if she'd end up with Winthorpe or Edward? He goes, it's all right here. <laughs> and then he just lights and she goes, Paul, you can. He goes, why? I learned it from watching you. Yeah, it's great. It's great. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, I now know what's going. I know now what's going through your mind. Revenge. Revenge. I mean, it's the best adaptation of Stephen King if you want to know why it should be on on the list. Like, this is one of the best ones they've ever done. And somehow, even though they didn't saw his legs off, they managed to improve that somehow. The best? I think it might be. Better than Le Shining? That's not really an adaptation, though. Like, it is, but, like, but like that's wholly his kind of movie in some ways. Like, that's almost like a Stanley Kubrick movie that has the same name and characters. I don't know. I don't know. Needful things. It's also fairly good. Well, when we get to the <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> because you're For an some ass. reason, I was like, I was like, needful things. Got to bring up needful things. That's not an eighties movie. That's a nineties movie, by the way. And it's well, fine. then you've missed your opportunity. It's it's fine. Hot shot. Needful things to number five. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. I didn't um, think you needed to. Yeah. I no. Didn't. I just wanted to bring up the fact that I know that Needful Things exist. Oh, good for you. Only for you. Have you, we've both said our favorite scene or scenes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I said it deserves to be on the list because it's, it's just, I think it's an iconic adaptation and I think everyone in it is just kind of perfect. Kathy Bates did deserve her Oscar, by the way. Oh, she's amazing in this movie. She is a lightning bolt in this movie. It's... If you ask the question, well, if Hannibal Lecter is the male equivalent of the horror winning an Oscar, what's the female? It's this right here. Oh, yeah. She's great in this. Almost as great as the actress in your number six. Are you guys ready to feel uh, feel feel bad? Because I'm ready to feel bad. My number six movie is maybe not the most well-known Takeshi Miike movie, but it's definitely the most infamous Takeshi Miike movie. It is about a man who decides to audition talent to be his wife, and then bad things happen. Originally, when people did not know that this movie was a horror movie, it just looked like normal, everyday, little, itty-bitty romantic comedy that went real fucking south real quick. That is, of course... Takeshi Miike, based off the 1997 novel by Ryu Murakami, Audition.
のせきおさみですどうぞどうもお待たせしましたい,いえ今までに映画とかテレビの仕事は何度かそういうお話はありましたけどまだやったことはありませんどっか事務所に所属してるのかないいえ一応あるレコード会社の方の個人預かりという形になっているんですけど最近は連絡も取っていなくてどこのレコード会社エースレコードですその個人預かりの人の名前を教えてもらえますか法学二課のディレクターの柴田さんですええー、ここに会社辞めてから現在無職とありますけど今生活の方どうしてますもし差し支えなければ週3回友達の店を手伝ってます何のお店銀座の小さなバーですママさんが昔ボイストレーニングのクラスで一緒でしたのでそのご縁で贅沢をしなければ何とか生活していけます贅沢したいとは思わないあんまり貧乏なのも困りますけど好きな CD や本が買えるくらいの余裕があれば本当にそれでいいんですバレエのことを聞いてもいいかなはい腰を痛めたって書いてあったけどそうですずっと落ち込んできたことを途中で諦めるのはつらかったでしょうはいこういうことを聞くと逆に失礼かもしれないけど山崎さんの作文の中の最優先事項だったことが崩れてしまったことはある意味で死を受け入れることに似ているっていうところとてもとても感動したんです誰だってそういうことは少なからず経験があると思うんだ生きてれば崩れてしまうことがあってどんなにあがいてもそれを受け入れるしかないそれが生きてるってことであってつまりそのあなたのような若い女性がそれをきちんと分かってるってことが驚きでこの人はこれまでもそして今も真剣に生きてるんだなってそう思ったわけですはいありがとうございます。そういうことでいいかな。じゃあどうも今日はありがとう。後でまたこちらから連絡するかもしれません。はい。失礼します。ちょっと休憩しよう十五分休憩はいエクセレントの当然に遅れるからって電話入れといてはいはい今の子どうだ妙に緊張させる子だなタバコ吸いたくなった<笑>お前
最初からあれに決めてたろ。I forgot how long it takes for this movie to start. It takes a full hour until we start to get like small glimpses that the person who is the number two on the cast list might be evil. Here's the thing, too. Like, you say evil. Like, at first, I don't think I don't, she's evil. You don't think she's evil? No. We're on much different. I'm joking.、Um, I was like, I was like, I was like, wow, really? <laughs> Really, you don't think, you don't think、uh, Asami Yamazaki, you know what? You just keep living in that world because all I got to say is this <laughs> deeper, 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 deeper. It is literally like Takashi Mike like, walked out of the woods with like, a barrel of gunpowder under his arm and it just had a hole in it. And he just walked towards the people on set and he just threw down a match and they said, okay, you lit that gunpowder. He goes, you walked for like four miles. He's like, just wait for it. Like, he goes, barring any rain, he goes, you're going to see some real shit. And Takashi Mike put on sunglasses, and like, when that final, when that moment hits, you're just like, Jesus Christ. Then they make you think it's not real for no, like 10、yeah. minutes. Yeah. And you think it's all been a misdirect, and then it turns、yeah. out, no, just kidding. It was real. It's like, it's actually worse than you thought. Oh, you pulled the rug out from under me, and then just as I was getting up, you did it again. Not only did you pull the rug out from underneath me, the second time you pulled out the floorboard. I pulled an ankle. When did you first see this? I saw this a few years ago when I, I would do 30 days of horror movies, 31 days of, of horror movies, and I would just like watch them back to back to back to back. What I would normally do is I would start with something that's like ooky spooky, but like not scary, and then kind of gradually grow into more. Upsetting things. And this one, I was just like, well, I've never seen Audition. I should watch it. And it was towards the end of the thing. And I just was like, I turned it on and I had never seen it. So I was, I was, I didn't know what to expect. And <clears throat> so it was like halfway through it. I was like, what is, what is this? Like, it's just like a romantic comedy. Like, it looks like the early. Part of the film just kind of looks like Japanese TV shows from that time period. And so I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. And then it, it shit goes south real quick. <laughs> it just blew me away because it was like a movie where I knew what, like, you know, I'd seen Bravo's hundred scariest things and they talked about the wire saw and they talked about the foot and all that. And it's still, I was still just like mouth agape, like, what? Happened to me, you know what I mean? Like, I can't believe that this exists. Like, it's still so shocking. I mean, even though I knew what was gonna happen, we rented this. Like, we didn't rent this. I went on eBay to find this because Nathan and I were in a chemistry class together. That's where we first met. And this is one of the first things we talked about because we had heard, like, this is the movie that scared Rob Zombie. And not that we were both into like zombie or anything, but it was like, well, that dude has seen some and made some pretty odd stuff. Like, Let's see what scares him. And, like, this movie should be viewed by someone in their 20s, not someone in their teens, because this movie is so slow, you will never get to it. And once it pops off, it does not stop. Like, that's the thing. It, once it starts doing what it's doing, you're just like, oh, fuck, yes, it's working. But, like, you need to wait an hour. It does the reverse of the Hitchcock. Like, it forces you to wait as opposed to Psycho, where, like, it gives it to you in the first 30 minutes. 
Yes. So I think what happens to a lot of people when they find Mike is they like watch Ichi the Killer, which is probably the most upsetting Mike movie. That's really saying something. Which is, you know, it's up there. And I think they're like, man, I need another hit of this. And then they go to audition. And audition is, is a much slower film. It takes its time. It does. The whole movie, you're like, well, is this just in his head? Like, or mm. is this happening? I mean, why don't you tell us what this is about? So this movie is about a man who is like a salary man who works for like a film company, I want to say. Yeah, I would say that's correct. He's played by Ryo Ishibishi as Shingaru Ariyama. And after his wife dies, he's a film producer. And he devises a mock casting audition at which young women auditioned for the part of his new wife, which is so fucking disgusting. His friend sets it up. It's not even so much him. I mean, it's still really really gross oh oh yeah yeah like no 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 absolutely no no argument there like the dude kind of gets what he deserves to a certain extent for sure sorry my dog just started barking he has very strong opinions about audition she was right i'm getting to it ash god so it starts with like this theme of objectification and this like dual idea that he wants like a housewife but he also wants someone who it's kind of like the Madonna whore thing, but he lands on the perfect person who is Asami Yamazaki, who is played by Ihi Shinia. I hope I'm saying that right. However you're saying it, the name is pure perfection. She's amazing in this movie. Mm, she's great. She is so good. This movie is because like it starts so slow and it starts with just like essentially like if you didn't if it didn't have the poster with like a woman with a giant needle <laughs> staring at you you would be like oh so this is like a romantic comedy i'm watching a romantic comedy and then in the back half becomes about how she was abused as a child and then becomes how she is murdering people and you're all like oh oh this is not a romantic comedy this is a horror movie well and, uh, they, <laughs> and they do the thing where they make you feel bad for her and then within 10 mm -hmm. minutes you're like oh no you're a fucking monster like yeah there's a there's a person in a bag <laughs> Not even so much him. You know, and I say it again, we can't connect it to this because it's not on the list, but I mean, this is fatal attraction for the Japanese. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. I agree. I agree. And I don't want to give away, because I, I feel people I've seen audition, right? I don't really want to give away everything that happens, but there is a wire, like a, like a wire saw, and there is foot trauma, much like with Misery, and yeah. it's real upsetting. Well, it's about being obsessed with somebody. Like, mm -hmm. once again, these two movies are, I didn't even think about that, but these two movies are, are about being obsessed with somebody. And they, they kind of turn from, they turn from being caring and kind to being not caring and very unkind. The book that this movie is based off of, written by Ryu Murakami and Ben, I think you would like to know that he directed a little movie called Tokyo Deku. Tokyo. So yeah. it's all coming coming full circle here on, on Two White Guys Talking Film. Yep, Tokyo Decadence. That's the reason I actually clicked on Tokyo Decadence. It says that on your little poster on Plex. I was like, from the writer of Audition? Well, let's see. 
And boy, howdy, were we treated to it. <laughs> I can't tell if Tokyo Decadence is a good movie or not. It's a movie. Definitely a movie. That's very true. It is definitely a movie. To quote Marge, it's an ending, Homer. It's all we can ask for. I don't even want to say scary. What is the most upsetting scene or what is your favorite scene? I mean, there's a man in a bag who moves. When that bag moves, whew. He has so many harbingers trying to get him not to do this. <laughs> like, so many people are like, stop what you're doing. Like, his friend who, like, helps him with the audition when she comes on and, like, then leaves. And he goes, she's perfect, isn't he? And he goes, she creeps me out. Yeah. Yeah. A um, wire saw scene, too. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really upsetting. I mean, I'll say it. I think the scene where he's talking to that guy outside of that doorway is really upsettingly creepy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Takashi Miike just he, that dude knows how to make upsetting movies. Yeah, oh yeah, he also knows how to make movies where there's a lot of blood. That's true. That's very uh, very true. I recently watched Shinjuku Triad Society. It's like really good mm-hmm. little pot boiler of a movie, and someone gets like stabbed in the neck in that movie, and god damn, he becomes the fountain. It's it's real gross. <laughs> he becomes the fountain, huh? He, he becomes the fountain. I don't know how you say fountain in it, but Kaze Mi Fountain. Kaze Mike Fountain. It's just a blood fountain. And why do you think this deserves to be on the list? Because the Japanese horror wave, I think, is very important, integral part of like horror movies from this time period and from the early 2000s. And I think not having any representation from them would be upsetting. I also think this movie is maybe the is probably is I think the best of that wave and maybe the most important of it like it not the most important because Ringo is the most important because it's the one that gets it over into America but I think it's definitely the one that like changed I don't know it's important because it is like one of the forebears of like that Japanese horror wave. And I think it's maybe the most notorious of those. It was definitely the one in like high school that kids were talking about the most, I think. Or like Ichi the Killer and auditions and shit like that. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. It is a seminal work of Japanese horror. I mean, you also have Cure on here. So yeah. you, you would have represented them one way or the other. I, I doubled up, baby. Yeah, your first your your whole first part of your list is just Japanese and vampire movies. Well, no, no, that 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 one at the beginning is that's that's a whole nother category. One of these is not like the other, you know, it's a mashup exactly. film. Exactly. Yeah. Boy, howdy, <laughs> is it. Boy, howdy, is it. I guess that takes us on to my final film of the evening, my number six. And my number six is a little 92 minute thriller that will have you both laughing and screaming all within the same very short 92 minutes. Danny Boyle delivers an exceptional first film that asks the very simple question of what's a little murder amongst friends. It's a great debut for both Christopher Eccleston and Ewan McGregor, who have both become staples in their respective classes of acting in British cinema. This is of course the movie from Danny Boyle starring Christopher Eccleston Ewan McGregor, and Carrie Fox. This is Danny Boyle's Shallow Grave. Is this what they always look like? Yes. Wonder how he did it. 
Did what? Well, killed himself. Presume that's what's happened. What do you think? Alex? What? What's wrong? What are you doing? I'm just looking. Don't. Don't look? No. Why not? What's wrong, Juliet? Aren't you curious? Don't you wonder what he died from? No. The guy's dead. What more do you need? It's not every day I find a story in my own flat. It's not a story, Alex. It's a corpse. I've never seen a dead body before. I saw my grandmother, of course, but I don't suppose that counts. I mean, she was alive at the time. Unfeasible. Was oh, that all? You mean immoral? I don't know what I mean. Look, I'm only asking you both to think about it. It's a sick idea, Alex. It's sick. Yeah, but don't tell me you're not tempted. Don't tell me you're not interested. I know you well enough. Oh, you think so? Well, go ahead then. Telephone. Telephone the police. Go ahead, no one's gonna stand in your way. Telephone them, tell them. Tell them there's a suitcase full of money and you don't want it. Carrie <laughs> 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 Fox is great i believe she's in i thought she was in a motherfucking mike lee joint but i could i guess i'm wrong i mean she might be for all you know. i think i'm wrong oh she's in bright star by jane Campion. i don't know bright star not a bright star no it's like a romantic biographical fiction film from jane oh Campion. wait i think i have seen i think i have heard of that yes. movie I fucking love Shallow Grave. Boy, is it a Danny Boyle movie. It's good. It's a good little little film. Good little one. Yeah, but Sorry. I think, not unlike Bottle Rocket, it's the least Danny Boyle film. Yes. I will say that that shot through the street where you start to hear, like, electronic music as, like, the, the camera, like, winds through Edinburgh. I'm like, yep, that's a Danny Boyle movie. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is a Danny Boyle movie. He does have his things that he likes. It's not, not, not just not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that, like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, boy, oh boy, Danny Boyle coming through. Out of the way, everybody. 
out of the way, I'm Danny Boyle. Exactly, yeah. Like, this is the guy who definitely will make transpotting in a couple years. When did you first see this movie? I mean, probably at the start of when I got Netflix with the, like, the discs. I remember this being very close to the top of, like, stuff. I was like, oh, shit, I can watch Shallow Grave now. So probably pretty close in there. Probably 2005. That is probably a good time to watch this. I think the first time I watched it was... Might have been when I became online to, like, the Criterion Collection and, like, the movies that they put out. And I was like, oh, they put out this movie. What's this movie? It's short. And I, you know, just watched it one evening. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's pretty good. That is the one thing he nails about this movie. It is quick. It's real quick. And it moves, yet it moves really quick. To, yeah, and yet manages to fit a lot into it. It packs a punch. I think Eccleston's really good in this. Oh, Eccleston's amazing. It's kind of amazing, like, Eccleston didn't, like, jump out in front of McGregor, like, to kind of go on and do a couple more things with him. I love the idea of three people in a plot that just fucking can't stop screwing each other over. It's an episode of It's Always Sunny, if you really look at it. Basically, yes. I mean, and the thing is, too, like, you're kind of glad it's happening to them because they're kind of all very unlikable. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. They're all horrible people. <laughs> they are. Um, this movie also kind of has an audition scene where they kind of, like, audition flatmates. That scene's so funny. And it, it is really funny, but you're also like, boy, these people fucking suck. Yeah, they do. And they finally settle on a guy and seems like everything gonna work out with this guy and he moves in and they don't hear from him again yes <laughs> and then they open up his room and he is he, he has he has passed played by keith allen keith allen who is kind of like a television presenter now he's a welsh he's sort of well known I mean, he's in stuff. He's he's a character actor. Yeah, they find him dead, and you would say to yourself, well, they call the police, and this movie's 45 minutes long, and they go back to looking for another roommate. The dude also has a lot of money. Yes, he has a suitcase full of money, and that's where the titular shallow grave comes from. They bury him, and they realize, well, how do we spend the money? How do we do it? And, like, one of them is, like, incredibly, like, we can't spend any of it right now. We have to wait. Mm-hmm. And all the time, too, there's this great little plot of, like, someone's looking for the money. Yes. And is going to a upsettingly, like, long, like, things to get it. Mm-hmm. Like, in, like basically, like, the torturing people and finding informants and trying putting to... Putting them in a freezer, which to me, I'm just like, yeah, that's the way to get information out of me if anyone needs to. Yep. I would absolutely hate that. You would just show me the freezer and I'd be like, cool, what do you want to know? Um, I'd be like, Tyler's Instagram name is this. (laughs) That's what I mean, your misery fan. I'm just like, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, no. Ironically, it's Naomi. That's the real (laughs) twist. I go, oh, you thought you were safe. I go, no, 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 you don't get it. It's 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 uh, it's this. That's his Instagram handle. It's funny you don't know that, but it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this movie is just about them, like, kind of like, I mean, because they're not good at it either. That's the other part, too. 
they're not good at being like criminals, I guess. No, they're very good at hating each other. Well, yeah, because the minute the money comes into play, it's not about like doing the right thing or it's not about like helping each other. It's it's who can get that money. This is blood and black lace as well. It's like just trust each other for 45 minutes and you all can walk away pretty happy. All you have to do is you take the money, you go to a casino. Do you have casinos in Scotland? I don't know. I don't care. You go to a casino, you put all the chips, you, you cash it all for chips. You go, you lose a couple rounds of like very low stakes poker. Then you come in and you take the chips, you cash them back in. Boom. That money is spotless. Different money. I mean, that's not the point though. They know like the idea is that they, what they don't have is they don't have Hugo. Like, Wherever Hugo ends up is where those people are going to go. So, yes. The problem is that they should have just, if they would have just had Hugo be dead somewhere, they, they like, you know what I mean? Like, they could have just put him in one of the cars and put him in the woods, and the whole thing would have been solved. Yeah. Yeah. Realistically. And I mean, what's your, what's your favorite scene in this movie? I do love the applicants scene. I also, think it's great and funny when she burns the hands and feet in the incinerator i don't know why i'm just like that's a hilarious detail to me just them kind of waiting for him to come around is a great sequence as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean scariest like i said scariest moment is where they take that guy out of the freezer i'm like nope fuck that don't like any of this yep i mean it's one of those movies where like you watch it and you're like I know Danny Boyle is going to do more things. This is a good place to start with him, I think. I agree. I mean, it's a good start for him, too. Mm -hmm. And I guess if we're going to get to why it should be on the list, it's just kind of a nasty little thriller, and it's kind of a perfect number six. Like, everything else I have from here going in, and don't get me wrong, I like all of these movies I've spoken of. But, like, all of these are all killer, no thriller, heading heading from five to one. But, like, oh, yeah. it's, it's kind of, and so are yours, actually, to be fair as well. Well, I haven't seen one of them. But for the most part, from what I know of yours, are all killer, no filler. I mean, like, but this this works. Like, this, and honestly, too, it's kind of nice to represent the British side of horror, too, because they were still doing it. Yes, well. yes, yes. I think, I think 90s is a time in British movies where it's starting to pick up again. There's a very famous Eddie Izzard joke that, like, no movie produced in England was good until Trainspotting. And then Trainspotting's like, there's monkeys with guns and they're firing guns and stuff like that. And he has a very funny bit. You should look it up. But you kind of get out of this period of, like, boring costume dramas. Not that I don't love those, but that's, like, the perception. And into kind of, like, a younger group of filmmakers. And Danny Boyle is kind of, like, the main one of them. So... Yeah, I think Shallow Grave is important because it's like his coming out party leads to train spotting, which is like his real coming out party and Ewan McGregor's coming out party. And just, you know, everybody in that movie's great. So it's important. It's I think it's really good. I think people should definitely watch it. There's a beautiful Criterion edition, so it is available. You know, Eccleston was supposed to be Begbie. You know, I, I don't think that works. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you on that. Love Eccleston. You know that McGregor apparently hated Danny, like was mad at Danny Boyle for a pretty long time for not. Well, yeah, because he was because he was supposed to be casted in the beach. Yeah, that's why they had a falling out. 
And then instead they casted uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. It's a real sliding doors question of what happens if McGregor is in that movie. I think the beach is better if McGregor is in that movie, but that's just I agree. I don't think it's a good DiCaprio movie. It's one of the few moments where DiCaprio is actually like the reason that movie's weaker. He really hinders it, I think. Yes, and I think it's because he's Leonardo DiCaprio. I also agree. Yeah, well, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. We're on the same page with this one. Who's to say if we're going to be on the same page next week? Who knows? Who knows what's going to go bump in the night there? Again, from 10 to 6, what was your list? From 10 to 6, uh, number 10, I have... Not only do I have Nightmare Comfort, but I also, it's also known as Cat in the Brain. At number 9, I have Death by Temptation. At number 8, I have Habit. At number 7, I have Cure. And at number 6, I have Audition. And I've got at number 10, Psycho. At number 9, From Dusk Till Dawn. At number 8, Tales from the Crypt Presents, Demon Knight. What a great talk we had about that. Number 7, <laughs> Misery. And number 6, Shallow Grave. I can tell that you're angry about it still. No, 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 no. I'm not angry at all. I'm joking. I I, I think okay. it's I just I like I like doing that joke for us. That joke is more for us. You see, when I hit you, it means I love you. <laughs> okay. All right. I can't I can't even do that joke seriously because yeah, all right, move we're moving it along. <laughs> deeper, 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 deeper. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hobbling is what they call when it. When she's wearing that little outfit, God, it's adorable. It's so funny when she like doses him and he's just like put his tongue out. <laughs> She's like, you won't really love me. You'll leave me just like they all do. And you're just like, oh, I shouldn't have rooted for you at all. Oh, no. To get Shimike offset, you're like, I trusted you. You told me to root for her. And he's like, well, you were wrong. <laughs> Pairing is going to be fun at the end because I got to see what you're going to fucking pair with. <laughs> on your list that's a real whatever didn't get paired at the end (laughs) well for next week guys you're gonna hear our five to one our best of the horror 90s edition and you can of course follow us at twgtf pod on twitter and instagram you can follow me at et critic for the empty theater critic and at movie loving lucha 87 on instagram tyler is there anywhere they can follow you i mean they don't have a freezer so i'm not gonna tell them They can follow me at the Listmaker Society, where I am making lists. In the society. In the society, yes. And for TWGTF, Two White Guys Talking Film, I've, of course, been your host, Ben. And I've been Lucio Fulci. <laughs> and remember, guys, if you come to our little video box around the way and you see, like, a bunch of spider webs and stuff on, well, it's because it's Halloween and we're getting in the spirit. And also that girl over there sitting at the bar in the cafe who's good looking, stay away from her. In fact, just stay away from all 90s women in bars. It's not a good move. It isn't a good move. And as soon as... Hold on. Wait a minute. Okay. Uh, Well, I'll go with this. Rat, there's a cat in my brain. Oh, no. He says that in that movie, right? I'm sure he does. Talking, 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 film.